This is Blair Atchinum. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Windsor Plywood. Now, not that long ago, I talked an awful lot about them. I hadn't been in the studio in, for several weeks, but got back in there this week and, uh, man, walked back in and there's the, the river table. I see they just built a brand new river table. It is like a, a dark blue just shimmers and they're just gorgeous so if you're into custom woodworking head down to uh windsor plywood here in lloydminster 3605 51st ave and uh talk to carly clausen and team they'll get you hooked up i want to also give a shout out to ken rutherford ken rutherford appraisals they've been housing the podcast now for the last year and uh time just seems to fly by i got talking to ken the other day on the phone and and i just can't thank him enough can't thank uh, his business enough they've uh, you know it was a year ago pretty much to the day where we finally did the first episode it was ken and i just kind of sat down and and i just turned the mics on i was so excited you know let's flick the mics on and see what happens and you know and then we released it because i'm like well i wonder if anybody even enjoys listening to this and you know we got such great feedback i'm sure ken wishes i'd take it down so we could start afresh but it's kind of cool to see you know how far uh, this has come since then, and once again, just a huge shout out to Ken Rutherford because I mean, without him and his business uh, giving me the opportunity to house it in his old storage room, uh, wouldn't be the same, I don't think. So thanks again, Ken. Now here is your factory sports tale of the tape. He played his junior A with the North Battleford North Stars. He then played in the WHL for the Saskatoon Blades, the Swift Current Broncos, and ended his career uh, for three years with the Moose Jaw Warriors. In 1988-89, he put up 70 goals in 71 games. <laughs> 70 goals, 68 assists, and 138 points that year. In 1989, he was selected 52nd overall by the Hartford Whalers. His NHL career saw him taken twice in expansion drafts, the first being in 1992 by the Ottawa Senators and then in 1998 by the Nashville Predators. He uh, spent 10 years in and out of the minors and finally got his opportunity in 1997 with the St. Louis Blues, who at the time had Joe Quinville coaching. Oh yeah, and Brett Hall and Al McInnes and Chris Pronger and a whole list of excellent players. His career in the NHL, he played 196 games in the show, 27 goals, 33 assists, and 60 points. I'm talking about no other than Blair Atchinum, and I appreciate him coming into Lloyd and sitting down with me, and we had a blast uh, for a couple hours just uh, talking about his career and his travels and minor leagues and finally getting his, his pro debut. So, enjoy it, folks. Without further ado. <laughs> so that the game, um, LA or not uh, Vegas and San Jose, when they scored four goals. Yes. And I'm sitting there in my basement watching the game, and I'm like, and they're like, "This has never happened before." And I'm like, "Yeah, it did. It happened. We were I was in the game. We were playing LA. Um, Jeff Cortnell runs the goaltender." It's on YouTube. Jeff Cornell runs the goaltender. Uh, Sean O'Donnell jumps him, starts punching on him. He turtles. We get a five-minute power play, and we score four goals in the power play to win the game. And I was like, I, I wanted to, 
I was like, Ron McLean was thinking on the thing. You could see, and they're saying, it's never happened before. And he is, he's rolling. I'm thinking, he's just about, and then they went to back to break, and, and it never did come back to, to talk about it. But I was like, it did happen. And yeah, anyways. <laughs> I should probably start this by saying, welcome to the Sean Newman podcast. I'm joined by uh, Blair Atchinum. Yes, you are. But, well, you're starting to roll the stories. Well, before I'm kind I of jumping even... away ahead of the head of the whole journey, but. Well, just... did you ever think, you know, lots of uh, ex-guys who played in the NHL, and actually a lot of guys who've played a lot of minors are usually really good um, color guys because they've seen a lot of the different scenarios. Or coaching. And did you ever think of, I know you coached a little bit in North Balfour, but did you ever think about getting into the entertainment side of it? Or sticking on with coaching? Well, not not the entertainment side. I think uh, the Mike and me don't get along real well. So, but, well, we're going to test that yeah, today. Yeah, so, but for the most part, uh, coaching, um, hockey was was my life growing up. Um, once we got to a certain age, and and uh, my last year, how it fizzled out, and I had knee surgery at the end of that season. Um, I had two little kids and a and a family. And it wasn't about me anymore. And I guess I could have went back to the minors again and, and tried to scratch out something and keep going. But at the time, uh, I think it was the right time to quit. The body was kind of saying enough's enough. And there's other things more important than, than playing the hockey game. How old were you at that time? 31. 31. I think so, yeah. Yeah. You know, they were talking today. I was listening to Ron McLean on Spit and Chicklets, actually, which I guess would have been at the All Star break. He was talking. Okay. And they got talking about the NHL right now and how, you know, you don't have many guys over 30 left in the NHL. Like the one of the guys said, the new 32 is 27. Yeah. So if you make it past 27, you're doing something right because chances are they're trying to find somebody younger than well, you know. That was my rookie season. Was 27? <laughs> really? It was 27? Well, technically, no, because I played four games with Ottawa. With Ottawa. And then I was, from there, I went out of hockey and then back again. But I was, I was curious. a 27-year-old rookie when I come to St. Louis. Do you hold, I, I don't know, I couldn't find this out, but do you hold the record as being a guy taken twice in expansion drafts? Or is there There's not a guy? record. There's a few of the guys that have, have done that. I think there even might be a uh, a three a three-timer, if you look at all the different expansions. Really? There might be one three-timer, but I was picked uh, in, in the Ottawa draft and then the, the Nashville draft. Actually, the Ottawa draft, I was the I never I only played four games there that year, but I, I was the last guy to play in the NHL out of that draft. I was the longest running player player in that draft in that draft to be continues uh, to continue on to play in the NHL. So that was a little my own little <laughs> little feather in your cap. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, you know, geez, we jumped so so far ahead. Uh, speaking of the uh, the St. Louis come or the sorry the Vegas game, you were talking. Um, there's got to be times when you're watching uh, games like that and you go, oh, I remember times like this, or I remember things like that. Does that ever frustrate you? I would, going back to the entertainment side of it and the color commentating, you say it never, ever crossed your mind, but don't you find yourself going, ah, oh, man, what are these guys talking about? They, they're missing this or this or this. I, I think um, what I've, I guess over the years, you, you started to grow an opinion in, in how the game is changing, I, you know, touching on listening to Marty's, uh, McSorley's podcast with you. Um, you're discussing the Cassie and Kachuk thing. And, yeah. and you know, as, as you get older and in hindsight, I get so much of like, everybody talks about the skill in the game and I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not denying. I like the kids are skilled. They're unbelievably skilled, but I don't, 
I, I believe back in the 80s, that skill was out there, and most of it was in the American Hockey League or East Coast Hockey League. And and I don't know what the proper, how to articulate it, but it there's something said for a guy like Theron Fleury. He, he's the Johnny Goudreau side, but, I mean, you look at a kid like Johnny, super talented in today's game, wouldn't have survived in the in that era and and it's 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 not you know and it's 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 the million dollar question and kelly chase tried to put a put a put a stamp on on the code with his ice guardians thing and, and we watched it with him at, at his fantasy hockey camp a few years back and you know and they and they sat up on a panel with uh bucky and 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 mike keen and garth butcher and and this group of guys and they're trying to explain the fighting code in, in hockey and, and it's it's something that is is kind of mystified everybody and and if you haven't played the game it's it's hard to explain and even as a player but it, i thought marty touched on on something in in the lines of respect and he even said like you know in the old in the, in his day you get you get your drilled from behind they come to the bench and you're like hey you can't put yourself in that position there was onus on the player to to protect himself yeah. i mean the old suicide pass it was the defenseman that passed the puck up from up up his ass that got shit. It yeah. wasn't the guy getting drilled. It, you know, the, there was a responsibility upon yourself and not expecting everybody else to take care of it. And, and somewhere, and I don't know what would be the proper term, but you had to man up to be able to play in that league. And, and not saying these guys are, are soft, but they can be a little bit soft when you watch some of the games. I mean, well, Skip, what, I had Skip uh, Craig on, who was Boston oh, yeah. Bruins, Buffalo. Uh, I know Skip. Yeah, yeah, Skip's a good guy. And he, I think, you know, ever since he said it, I think about it every time I watch a hockey game. And it's hockey mirrors society. And right now in our society, <laughs> right, like, it, truer words couldn't be spoken. For sure. Right? We don't put the onus on people anymore. Everybody hides behind, you know, everyone else pretty yeah. much. Right, and then in hockey, you know, it's just they've taken away a lot of the brutality or the toughness. Maybe not the brutality, but the toughness of the game. For sure, I would agree. And that is a lot of what's going on in the rest of the world that we know, anyways. Is people don't want to see that side anymore. They want it to be skill and speed, and and that's it. Hundred percent. I think there's something there to what you say with toughness. I guess if. If you just think of last year's Stanley Cup, I mean, St. Louis was a team that finished your body checks and it was just, the other teams couldn't, they couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And, you know, they play a heavy game. Well, then the next team wants to mold, mold themselves. But it's it's not needed a bunch of goons or, or, you know, six foot six guys on your roster. You you just got got guys that buy into the physical side. And St. Louis showed what you could do with that, I think. Well, and the thing is, is I don't know if anyone can argue that big boys that compete and can get to the dirty zones in the playoffs, that, that wins hockey games. I don't oh, yeah. think anybody can knock that. It's the 82 regular season game where, you know, I, uh, Oilers fans know it best, right? We had Milan Lucic come, mm-hmm. and uh, you watch Lucic play in the regular season, and he just, he's a, a dinosaur, right? I think I heard that term a while back. He just sticks out. But if you ever get that guy back in the playoffs, you're going to love having yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. I think it's... It's just the yeah, goal scoring. I mean, you look at Ovechkin. I mean, yeah, the everyone every highlight goal is the one timer. But I mean, he goes to the dirty areas. Sean Monahan, he's not a pretty player, but you you know, nine out of ten goals are, are between the hash marks, and he's he's battling. I mean, 
you, you see the guys that, that fade off and fade in are, are those guys that like to tend to go to the perimeter and, you know, they then they go on a cold streak. All of a sudden they, they buck up and realize they got to get dirty again and get a couple ugly ones and, hey, they're back scoring again. And then generally that generates the pretty goal, I guess, as, as he used to go anyways. Well, and we all know when you get into the playoffs – no matter what happens, the linesmen, the refs, let just a little bit more go. And so it takes the player willing to take a little bit of abuse to get into the dirty zones, to find the goal, because the easy ones slowly disappear because now you're against the top 16 teams and then you're against the top eight and then you're against the top four. And it doesn't get easier, it gets harder every round. That's one of the lovely things about the playoffs is every round you go, you got to get be willing to take a little bit more abuse and not show it and fight through it and go to the crappy areas. Your goaltender has to play a little bit better with a little more traffic oh, yeah. and deal with the BS. And My first year as a 27-year-old rookie in St. Louis, I mean, the first time I'm playing these guys for the first time. First time I ever played against Steve Eisenman, I'm like, this guy's average. <laughs> you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, I can't really be thinking this, but I've been in the minors for eight years. This guy doesn't impress me. You know, it's like I've heard so much and watched so much and seen so much, but I'm like, game one against them in the you know uh, November game, then we got against them in the playoffs, and I was like, holy crap! There's another level to this man that, you know, doesn't show up in September, October, but in April, you know, there's a it's a different player. And then I think that goes for a lot of the, a lot of the players that uh, that have played a long time. You know, they get through the regular season. Scott Stevens like was a bone crusher early on. Wendell Clark, when their first years, they're killing everybody, but then they realize that their bodies can't can't withstand that for every season. So they'd be able to pace themselves once they're established in, in, the, in the level of play that those guys were. I mean, they could get by by kind of putting it in cruise control to a point where, you know, guys like myself, you, there was no cruise control when you had the opportunity. What was the getting the opportunity like? You remember your first game? My, my, <clears throat> yes, the first game was in Ottawa. Oh yeah, Ottawa, right. So I got a four-game cup of coffee. I mean, it was it was so short-lived that it come and went so fast that it was like a dream. And then uh, the second time around was a, a lot longer. And and uh, did you did you ever think you know you, eight years you said in the minors before you got your next chance? Did you ever think you were going to get another chance? Hmm. You know, no, I don't know what I thought. I think um, I was out of hockey playing senior hockey for the Soda Three Stars just north of North Belford on a First Nation. Played a couple games, and that was like, um, I don't know what it was. There was something, either a, a you call a, a switch flipped on. I got home, I was out of hockey, been in the NHL, and I'm done. And I'm thinking, you know, I can, my life's not over. I just kind of thought, you know, I don't feel any different today that I'm not a hockey player, but so life can go on. And then, then I started playing a little bit of, you know, senior with my buddies and caught on a team and here we go and going to have some fun. And, and then I just got a call from a, a team one night in Europe wanting, can he fly the next day? And then I couldn't, I didn't have no passport at the time. I was like, no, I don't have a passport. And, you know, and then a chain of events happened. An agent got a hold of me the next day and then said, no, don't go to Europe. You're too young. You know, go to the minors, go to the East Coast, get in shape. And the ball started to roll. But, you know, what happened when I went back is I didn't want to please anybody. 
I, I mean, I found I, in hindsight, I was, you know, you're, you're not physical enough. You're not, you don't skate well enough. You're, you know, you're trying to do everything else that everybody's telling you that you're not good enough at. And when I went back, I just said, the hell with it. I'm going to play the way I play. And if they don't like it, F it. They can, I'll find another place. I'll just, it took my journey and, and by playing for myself and, and the way I wanted to play, uh, it was a lot more effective <laughs> and a lot more successful. We're going to rewind that just a little bit. How, so where were you before you went back to senior hockey north of North Battleford? Where, where were you the year before? Uh, <clears throat> Ottawa. Oh, you I, I played four games in Ottawa. I played the year, the year in New Haven, Connecticut in the American Hockey League for the American League team. And they just didn't sign you back? No. I had a, I ruptured a kidney that year. Didn't, you know, we had a terrible team. And I think New Haven was put together like three weeks before the season for an affiliate. Ottawa didn't, like, we didn't know where we were going, right. going into camp. And if anybody got sent, oh, all of a sudden, New Haven. We're going to New Haven because that's where they had struck a deal for that season. Uh, I think they're there only the one season, and then they moved up to the Maritimes. And then, um, yeah, so we went down there, battled away, and it was a crappy year. And, you know, Ottawa didn't re-sign me, and then I found myself on a tryout in Fort Wayne, Indiana, on, for the IHL, and got there for 40 guys for one one contract. And I found myself, Kim Issel and I, an old PA Raider, Oiler guy, driving back in his car back to Saskatchewan because we, we were done, and and I thought that was it, basically. And what year was that? Ooh, well, 90, 95, maybe? Yeah, 92 was the year Ottawa came in, 92, 93. Okay, so, so 93, 94. 93, 94. Yeah, somewhere in there. So you just went, just having one of those times that things weren't going a little right and come back and play some and try and go have some fun. Yeah, I just, I didn't... When you kind of quit thinking about um, the end or the destination, and then just embrace the the present, I guess, in a, in some kind of layman terms, you know, just live for the day, and and everything seemed to fall. And then I guess I could. I met my wife that is now during that time, and and she might be the furthest thing from a sports fan in the world. <laughs> and she was a from you know from a hometown, and you know. This world of hockey was, she didn't really get it. Uh, she was still in school at that time, and I was down in the minors, and then come home, and you know, she'd never been one to, let's say, oh, it's okay, you're going to be all right, and rub your back. It was like, well, okay, you don't have nowhere to go. You gotta get moving on. Like, what are you doing now? Like, it was, and that's how she's been for ever since, and from basically from that point, I guess that was, uh, has kept me rolling in the right direction. Um, I've always had great support from my family, my mom and dad through all the years. And, and then, you know, now having kids, it's just, you know, the little bit continues. of, a little bit of tough love always can always help, especially from spots you wouldn't expect. My wife is identical. She's not, a, she's Minnesota. She, until me, had never been to a hockey game. So, but she's an athlete. Give her that. But anytime you start doing the pity party. She'll snap you out of that <laughs> awfully quick. Well, maybe they're related, maybe. Because <laughs> it was, I had to laugh. <clears throat> when I was, I was at the Minnesota Moose at one time, and she'd come down, and she was going to school in Minot and, to visit. And she went to the game, and and the wives were all sitting there, and some fan had made a quote about, like, well, how come that one referee has orange stripes on his arms? And, like, and my wife had no idea, and... 
And the lady said to him, oh, because it's his birthday today. Oh, and like all the women laughed, and she was like, she didn't know what they're laughing about. So after the game was like, okay, what's that guy with the orange stripes on his arms? What's his, uh, he's the ref, Jennifer. I was like, oh, okay, because they made a joke, and I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that sums up her hockey knowledge on, on that part of it. So <laughs> Sometimes that's better that way anyways. That way they're not, uh, they can be supportive but they can't criticize everything about it because they don't know more than you. <laughs> well, it, you know what? I guess in the end, you know, one of the terms I've stressed with working in in the junior A with my coaches that I've worked with, and it's balance. I mean, you can, you, you got to have balance in life, family, work, you know, friends, family, so be it. I think, uh, you know, when when I did have kids, it sure it sure changes your perspective in life as as a father you know when you when I was single and playing hockey I mean you come home you you take the game home with you every every night you have a good game you feel great the next day you have a bad one you feel like crap I mean your emotions are so high and low that you know it's you know it's hard to hard to get ahead and then when she come in um you have kids you know you had a crappy day at the rink you know, the door opens and you have a little toddler there smiling, dad, and it's like, you know, you what's important, right? You know, yeah. go back. You know, and that's where you learn to, as a pro, I guess, in, in the NHL. It's like you leave the work at the rink and, you know, you have a tough day. You're there a little earlier the next day and you, you do some extra work and you bust your hump and, and get your ball rolling back in the right direction. Yeah, I, uh, I've been known to have a little bit of a temper on the ice. And uh, I got a three kids under four so she's a little busy but they come to the rink now and when dad gets thrown in the penalty box they're sitting there tapping on the glass wondering why i'm there right and it's hard to be mad when your children are sitting there you know going dad what's wrong yeah um nothing really actually right like that's right i actually have found it's calmed me down quite a bit because when i was younger i was i don't know short fuse i guess on the ice but now at least i find i puts things in perspective i'll use your words right like yeah. it really really does i mean it doesn't com- take away the compete level but no. it does uh with children they test your patience an yeah, awful I lot think every young athlete is that i think you know you, you watch minor hockey and kids get frustrated and and i think it's over time um you you learn that a bit you know in junior you're always mad at the ref screaming at the ref and then you know i think i found it sometime in in the minors there you you're battling the American League and you're playing three and three nights, maybe you know, maybe f- four and five days, just depending on the schedule down there. It, you know, it's pretty treacherous. And we found what I found is that all of a sudden you start seeing these same faces with the stripes on every night. And it's you know, Paul Dvorsky, Brad Watson, and these guys that have ended up making it to the NHL, just like our, you know, yeah. as a player, you know, and it's all of a sudden, you know, they're they're thumping it out too, and and all of a sudden, instead of swearing at them for a call, it's like, oh, what do you got? Three and three nights this weekend? Yeah, you know, they're yeah. living the life. And, and in that league at those days, you end up running into them for a beer after the game at the local pub or the hot spot. And, you know, it's like, hey, let's leave her at the rink and have some beers. <laughs> together. And, you, you know, I ended up, you, you learn to build some relationships when you, you got a newfound respect for these guys. And and in the end, those end up paying off better than telling the guy where to go. And I think can almost guarantee telling the guy where to go never works. <laughs> well, sometimes you got to touch the stove to burn your hand, right? To, That's right. To realize that it's hot. So, well, let's let's go back to you know 
your younger years, you grew up in North Battleford. Um, did you always start out playing hockey? And was that always what you kind of had your eyes set on? And what, what was uh, what was young Blair like? Yeah, uh, hockey. My dad was my dad was signed by the Boston Bruins when he was fourteen years old. He was he he's a member of the Sweetgrass First Nation, uh, just west of Battleford. Um, his hockey was uh, his way out of the off the reserve, and my grandfather recognized that as a as him as a young child and pushed him to it. Um, he was good at it. Uh, he was before the draft, so that's why there was like that's why he signed it. So there used to be the Beaver Bruins in North Balford, which was yep. a farm team to the Estevan Bruins, which was a farm team to Oklahoma City and Dayton, Ohio, which all well, was a, it was a whole chain of them. Well, Lashburn, which is 15 minutes yeah. to the well, you drive by it to get yeah. to Lloyd. Lashburn was an affiliate of Weyburn, which was an affiliate of Detroit. Exactly, right? yep. and that's the old so the old system like that. So that's where hockey was brought into me, and and I guess I just grew up always wanting to play, and I loved it. And as a young kid, I was good at it, and you know, it just that was my dream. I was going to play, I was going to play in the NHL, and that was, you know, there was no other options. I, I mean, as growing up, summer was baseball. I mean, always played other sports. Growing up, I didn't play hockey all year round. Um, Probably didn't have the option to play hockey all year round. No, but always... you know, every once in a while on a weekend, it's like a nice day. What a well, let's play grass hockey. Yeah, that's so right. that'd be an afternoon game and that was it we'd pull the nets out of the shed and you know get enough kids around and we all play grass hockey for the day and then that was it for you know the extent of hockey but uh um baseball was my other game that i liked to play I had some success at it played what position you play first base and pitched um i played team saskatchewan it was a junior program for the canada games that was held in saskatoon uh back in 89 i think the canadian suburban games were there and i this team started basically three and a half years before that. I actually didn't make the final roster in that last season. I does year I got drafted, right. and I guess my my game and ball wasn't really there, and and my mind was going on to what I really wanted to do. So uh, at the end of the day, I, but I played for for three and a half years. Batted cleanup, used to hit home runs. Uh, played with a guy, a local guy, Derek Flash. Okay. Him and I grew up playing baseball together. He play. He continues. I think he's still playing baseball in Lloyd here at some capacity, and his brother Daryl, I think, is still into the baseball quite a bit. Anyways, yeah, that's what I I went to uh, a Cincinnati Reds open camp in Regina. Really? As a, as a as Cincinnati a, Reds had an open camp in Regina. As a fifteen year old, and I was playing midget ball at the time in Battleford, and you know our coach said, "Hey, there's a camp on the weekend. I'm driving up, uh, you know." <laughs> I think Derek or a guy named Rodney Feather from down there, three or four of us jumped in the car with him and he took us up to this camp and you sign in in the morning. Uh, there must have been about 120 guys that showed up and then basically they run you through the mill, throw how fast you run, just these different basic skills. And then at the end of the day, they, they pick a, a, like a, basically a scrub game. They pick about uh, 12 or 14 players to play in a, a scrimmage. And so the three guys we bat and the rest in the field, and they just rotate it through, and they, the pitchers that they had. So first time I come up the bat, I hit it off the center field wall, and this big chubby guy with a big wad of chew in his mouth from Cincinnati Reds outfit, he, how old are you? And I was like, 16? And he wrote it, my name down, and then I ended up having a good day. And the next year I got a letter to come to another camp from Cincinnati, but not down to Cincinnati, but they had another ID camp. But at this time, I'm, 
I'm playing in the Western Hockey League, and hockey was really my my drive. Did you get taken in the Bantam draft? Then? I'm before the Bantam draft. Before the Bantam draft, <clears throat> David Struish and myself uh, were Saskatoon Blade protectees. So, kind of the if you're protecting someone under 15 years old, they take two spots on your 50 man protected list. Okay. So that was the the system then, and David Struish and I were Blades prospects young, and we were both basically listed before the before our age. So we took up a double roster spot on their on their list, and I started with the Blades. So that was uh, I played AAA midget uh, in the Battlefords as a 14 and a 15 year old, and then played uh, started in the Western Hockey League as a 16 year old. And did you play in your 16 year old year? I played to the first half of the season, and then I went back to battle. I wasn't playing much. Yeah. And we had Marcel Como as a coach, kind of the old school. Don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to kid like. He just showed up. It was a job, like, and <clears throat> went to back to Battleford and played the second half for Norm Johnson with the North Stars. And I mean, in hindsight, it wasn't bad. I think I had 17 goals in half a season as a 16 year old. And, yeah, which is decent. And, which was decent. Probably but, better than decent, to be <laughs> honest. So, and and then uh, went back to the Blades the next season as a 17 year old. Kind of run into the same thing. Started off pretty good, and then found myself healthy scratch, healthy scratch, and got to a point where Corey Kosher and I went into the Blades office and said, hey, we can you move us? Like, we're not playing here. He doesn't want to use us. Well, ask for a trade. So that year, um, they talked to Corey, talked him out of it. They weren't talking me out of, I was done. I wanted to go. So I went home um, that year and waited for the trade. Um, Moose Jaw was going to trade for me. Harvey Roy, the general manager, come to my house. Knew my father from hockey days. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to make sure I was going to report. That was all the trip was for. Just, he didn't want to trade for me and find out that I didn't want to play. So, okay, the, 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 the trade will be done tomorrow. And meanwhile, this whole time, this is when the Swift Current bus accident happened. So I'm at home during the, when the bus accident happens and I'm sitting at home. Uh, the memorial was the next day. So Harvey Roy was going to see everybody at the memorial, uh, I get a phone call from uh, from Daryl Lubinicki. We've lent you to the Swift Current Broncos for the season. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't want to be lent. You'll come back to the Blades the next year. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, so Ed Chanelth got involved and basically phoned me and said, if you want to go to Swift Current, the league will compensate the Blades and you'll be Swift Current property. You're not going back. Or if you want to go to Moose Jaw, the deal will go through and the, the trade will be made. So Graham phoned me, James, and obviously I knew that group of kids from, they were good. I mean, they had Joe Sackick and Sheldon Kennedy, Peter Soberlock, Tim Tills. Oh, they won a Memorial Cup. Yeah. I, you could see that in the in the makings. And I was like, hey, I'll, I'll go there. So I'm going to play. <laughs> they need the players. which uh, And so I lasted about two weeks and... I ended up getting traded to Moose Jaw anyways. So they needed a defenseman and to fill their roster. And those kids weren't, were promised they'll never be traded that year. And, and so that's how I ended up with Moose Jaw Warriors. We're going to back it up for a second. So you got traded to Swift Current just after the bus crash? Yep. I was on the first bus ride after the What after was the that crash. like? It's quiet. Um, yeah, it was, you know, that Swift Current thing was uh, in hindsight has been it was really 
bizarre. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, I went from a team in Saskatoon where you'd run, meet the coach in the hallway and he'd look at the floor and wouldn't say hello to you as a 16-year-old kid on your team. And I go to Swift Current and I get invited for supper the first night and Graham's got, uh, there's five of the players, a couple of the Kruger boys, um, Sheldon Kennedy, Ryan McGill, and, but, you know, the interaction was totally different. I mean, we got Sheldon with... Graham in a headlock at the table and and laughing and teasing and poking and and I was just like this is totally different than the blades right so you know it 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 was what it was and you know you move on and then stories come out later but uh you know it was hindsight I guess talking to again you know, getting to know some of those Bob Wilkie and different guys that I played with and against that were on that team and you know it's just a sad sad thing that happened and I was fortunate to to get out of there when I did I guess in hindsight I thought it was not the greatest thing at the time but I, I mean sometimes things work out for the best but you would have never like it's not like you suspected anything anyways no but there was I played uh team western under 16 um I guess and I and I kind of know this through some of the coaching things that you have to do today to the the the, the flags that are thrown were flags that I witnessed with Sheldon and, and uh, Kevin Green, kid, like these kids that had played in Moose Jaw in that system for Graham, not with Graham yet, but, I mean, it's it was cultivated. Yeah. Um, Sheldon was, a, when he brought Sheldon to Moose Jaw, Sheldon was a midget, AAA. Well, he traded Sheldon's right ahead of him to Swift Current before he left Moose Jaw. If you look at the, some of the timelines, oh, he could he couldn't take Theron Flurry. I mean, Theron was the mayor of Mustra. Um, like, it's pretty damn sad. I mean, I, I've never seen the man since, and I just don't know what I, I would do if I ever run into him again. Well, it's one of the very very dark marks on hockey. Oh, for sure. You know, and I think, you know, my my dad and mom and dad were at all the games, so I guess I mean. You know, they were involved with my, my life, were interested, they were supportive, they are always there. I think, you know, that was maybe one of the flags that they, I don't think I'd ever be in that situation, but, yeah. you know, you never say never yeah. those, in those days. So Moose Jaw, Moose Jaw, you go and end up playing there for three <laughs> years. You say at the start it wasn't uh, what you wanted to do, but once you were there, what did you think of Moose Jaw? <laughs> the journey could, so the first day in Moose Jaw, we got, they got Theron Flurry and, Mike Keen is their big players. They got a pretty good team. Um, first day of pr practice, the coaches quit. What? Greg Quisley's quit. <laughs> Harvey Roy <laughs> traded his favorite player for me and didn't know about it, so the coach quit because his favorite player got traded away for, for me coming in to fill the shoes. <laughs> so another great start, eh? But uh, I... So Whether, the boys razz you about that? <laughs> well, they were just like, no, no, they weren't even, you know, there were some great people there. Like, you know, we had a great team and some great guys. They just took, you know, they were welcome. The players were welcoming. It was just, great quiz. They wasn't the, so fond that I had come. So, um, Do you know what I have in my hat? Sorry, just stop us for one second. Sure. Yeah. Ken Staniforth brought this in. Okay. And I've never had reason <laughs> to really pull it out. But now that you're here... I'm trying to figure out, because Graham James is in this, and I'm trying to figure out what year this is. These would have been the year after. 
You're after? I played. Because Scotty Daniels, but that's not Scotty, that's Cordic. That's Cordic, yeah. I don't, I don't think I ever had a, a Junior A hockey card. You mean a WHL mm. hockey card? Because there is the man. Yep. I think those come out maybe the year after. I really, yeah. Says following in the footsteps of 1989, so it'd be 1990. Yeah, that's so you're, that is that was my last the year before was my last year. That's damn good memory on you. Yeah, <laughs> you say you're, you know off air you saying folks oh, I don't know if I remember the storyline that well. That's <laughs> well, bringing back lots of memories, that's for sure. So, anyways, I, I you know I had a pretty good start. I ended up getting hurt in the first couple of weeks in Moose Jaw. Was kind of in and out of the lineup, but then uh, the next year come back and. Greg Quisley had moved on, and some new coaching, and really my my big my big uh, opportunity in the Western Hockey League was uh, from a man named Graham James or Jerry James. Jerry James. Jerry James, great man. Um, SGHL coach, football player, NHL hockey player, CF, you know, Hall of Fame CFLer. Scariest man, maybe to, when you meet him, but uh, was a was a great human, a great person. Um, just give me an opportunity to play. We went out in our West Coast trip. Uh, played with a defenseman on the left wing, uh, fourth line center on the right or in the middle, and put me on the right wing. I come home with seven points in seven games by getting a regular shift. Um, Theron Fleury was still with our group that year. Got put on a line with him off the trip and scored 20 goals in 10 games. 20 goals in 10 <laughs> games? Yeah. Just couldn't miss. I just. I was getting the puck where I usually liked it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Theron, and that year, we Theron, we uh, set the, he set the Moose record for goals in a season. He had every other one in scoring, but he didn't have the, the goals in a season. And we finally broke that one together as a line mate of his. And then uh, next year, I ended up breaking it on my own. So that was kind of my, yeah, my you... coming out year. I had a, I had a 30, whatever, 35 goal season or something like that. That, that season, I ended up. And then, you know, had a pretty good strong season. Thought a chance I could get drafted, didn't get drafted. So then I come back as a 19-year-old to the Moose Jaw. And put up 70 goals in 71 games yeah. and 135 points. I was, Who was your line mate feeding you that? <laughs> That's a, like, I had some, a great line. Jerome Bichard and Rob Harvey. We're All three of us are in the Warrior Hall of Fame, all three of us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that year I, I had, I was East Division Player of the Year. So I guess I was in the top six in Canada for you know, junior, major junior player of the year with the different leagues. Uh, ended up, they ended up giving me the, the, the Brad or was the most sportsmanlike trophy for the Western Hockey League. They had to give me something, I think, that year. It's just kind of, <laughs> they give me that, which I didn't, it wasn't that I was a goon or not, but I, I think they had to give me something. But uh, with that, I think, I think Beesh and Harv had about 85 points each. And I don't know where I got all my, like, that season was 70 goals. I had never more than three in a game, and I never had an empty net goal. So I basically spread it out. I actually, my second half was pretty strong. Uh, went home at Christmas with 25 goals. And I was, on, you know, half halfway of the season, I'm going to be able to score 50. That was my goal. Right. And then I guess I come back and scored 45 more after Christmas. So it was it was quite a season, I tell you. Um, we, uh, Moose Jaw was in turmoil. Like the franchise itself was up in the air. I remember Lauren Malkin had taken over that year, and and he had nothing but um, 
trust her. He believed in me 100%. And that was a big part of that season, I think. It was his influence and his his support and, and guidance that year. Um, he called me one day and says, like, you know, we don't make the playoffs. This team's done. And, you know, it's up to you. <laughs> it's like, I'm a 19-year-old kid here putting the weight of a franchise in the Western League on me. But we, we had a good group of kids, uh, a great team character-wise. We had uh, B. Shard, Jim McKenzie, Chris Bright, um, Corey Bolio, myself, all got drafted to Hartford Whalers. They, really? The Whalers just loved our team. And we all, they, there was a big group of us that all went there. We had other guys go other places, but um, that year was, it was pretty good. We put, a, we won like 22 or 22 games after Christmas to get into the playoffs. Then we ended up against Medicine Hat in the first round. They're two-time defending Memorial Cup champions. They had Mark Wolf and, and three first rounders, a Miller kid there, Jason Miller, uh, big defenseman, Cordick and... And there's a Pirasoski. They, they had it like slated to go again. We we swept them in the first round, so we were world beaters. And then we come up against uh, Swift Current Broncos. I think they beat us in six, and they won the Memorial Cup. And then right? they go on to win the Memorial yeah. Cup. That was a pretty pretty special year. I think that's one of the ones that you you kind of never forget. Uh, juniors, are the greatest time of your life. There's no responsibility. You're just playing, you know, playing hockey and living the dream. So that was uh, that was the start of uh, the start of it all, really. That season for me to go think that I could actually continue on. Got to bring up billets. Did you did you have a uh, with all the younger kids? I've had lots of guys that are currently playing in the dub, um, and then for myself, where I lived out in Ontario, like uh, did you have uh, one billet family, and were you all over the place? Well, obviously moving a couple different teams in junior, yeah. but uh, Kim and Rex Pruden, yeah, um, they. I got them in Moose Jaw, and we're still friends today. We still 30, I don't know, 30 some years later, yeah. and we stay in touch. We get together when we can. Uh, we've been to their kids' weddings. I mean, it's just yeah, they they've been part of our extended family. They they come with me to the draft when I got drafted. No kidding. They it was yeah. They've been you know they're always a phone call away, and we do keep in touch. Not as much as you wish you could, but we we still do it. They're unbelievable. It's always I always talk about the bill. I always like to talk about the billet families because what they do is pretty uh, spectacular, especially when you get the right group with the right kid, right? The For right sure. Family. I, I mean, that can make or break. I mean, anyone. I, I had some doozies, and I had some good ones, and that was the best. I yeah. think I was with their basically their one and only. <laughs> I come in, and they never took another one after. I yeah. think, uh, and you know, we yeah. If it wasn't for them I, that year. It was just all part of the mix that was was all positive and and, and really great support. What uh, what uh, rink did you like playing back in the day when you were scoring your seventy? Was well, it Moose Jaw? Moose Jaw, hundred percent. Can man. <laughs> How were the fans in that place? Oh, it, it was great. I don't know. That was the best junior junior A rink. I mean. You couldn't see from, you'd be in the top row on the one side, you could just see the top of the glass across the other. You couldn't see the fans. It was so low. It was so cold all the time. The ice was great. And they had made, they had custom nets. And I don't know why, but they cut, they made, our nets were the only ones shaped like that in the whole league. And I was always said that, so Theron Fleury could wrap the puck around quicker. But I don't know why they had them, but we had funky shaped nets. What, what, what was the shape? Like, more like a hexagon on the back instead of the big, Instead of the, the big C, C or, or whatever, yeah. yeah, it was they they cut the corners of the 
so you could come around the net a lot quicker. I don't know. I don't know why, but who knows? It's just something that we, well, they wouldn't let that happen today, but <laughs> it was then. <laughs> yeah. How about, so you talked about your draft. Where was your draft? Where uh, The year you're taking, where was the draft that year? M- Minneapolis. It was in Minnesota? Yeah. So did you head down there then? Yep. Did yep. you head down the year before too? No. 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 So the, uh, the year you're getting drafted, yeah, you head down. Uh, previous to the draft, did you go through a combine of sorts? Oh, there was none of that. There was none of there that. Was, you know what? They had a ton of meetings. I met with every – because all of a sudden I'm, I'm scoring a million goals and – our team is doing great. You know, I, I talked to every team. I, that's where, in in the in the big picture, that's where I met Barry Trotz for the first time. He was scouting for Washington, took our whole team out. Um, he was a great guy. Just, you know, you, you meet some people that just kind of hit it off. You know, just something there. Um, didn't think much of it at the time. Just thought, geez, this guy's pretty nice. He's a scout for Washington. But you just, he took us out in a big group. And But I met with every team, and it was you know, how come you guys are winning? And how, you know, like they all, you know, I always give Lauren the, the credit. Like he brought, he had a, a unique fine line of, of being able to reprimand and discipline, but always knowing that it was never personal. And that was the first coach I ever really had that had that division where, you know, he's just mad at your action, not at you. You know, practice is over. Everybody was, you know, our whole team could, could go in the office and have coffee with him. Yeah. And it wasn't brown nosing. It was just what we did. Was there any team that stuck out to you that came and talked to you? Like you got drafted by Hartford. Did Hartford stick out or? You know, you know Dave, uh, Dave McNabb. And if I look back in some old boxes, I got a handwritten letter from him. And you'll have to refresh my memory. I, he, he, he was a scout for the Hartford Whalers for, for the years. Hartford Whalers. And then okay. he was he was involved with, the last time I even looked, I, I know he was working with Anaheim Ducks in like the top of their amateur scouting. This is years ago, but okay. you know how, it was just unique. Uh, this guy had written me a hand, you know, page and a half letter, just, you know, liking my game and, and communicating with me. And I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, that was just one of those things that I think back, which was, I mean, no other team did that. And, but I mean, I, I guess I was, that was, I was an, like people had a hard time figuring me out, I guess, in, in the big pictures. They all wanted to know what was up with me. And like, all of a sudden I can score and I didn't, well, I scored the year before, but it was like, yeah, it just hadn't been the consistent from the time it got in as a 70 You scored 70, right? Like that's. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just. What do you think changed between the two years? If you look back on well, just a year it's of maturity, it's yeah. it's conf, you know, confidence. It's confidence. It's it's great support and and you know having a coach like Lauren Mullican believing in 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 you as a person and and what you can do on the ice and just changes it. And, and I mean, I've all throughout my my journey, it, it it comes back again and again, and it's the same same kind of thing. Same recipe. Yep. Somebody who believes in you and a little bit of confidence go a long long way. Yep. So I got drafted. 52nd overall, and the, my when I was coaching junior, helping that, the, the, the kids like the, who was picked 53rd. The, who was picked 53rd? Nick Lindstrom. <laughs> Bullshit, really? Hartford kind of screwed up there that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I didn't know at the time when I was like, someone's like, you know, Nick Lindstrom was drafted right after. I'm like, oh, shit, really? Oh. I was drafted I, before oh, I had Nick Lindstrom. Only thing I got up on him. <laughs> So the the kids had a have a pretty good time with that one. So, but 
Yeah, that's why I day I said Hartford. Overshot that a little bit. How excited were you when you heard your name called? Oh, it was great. I mean, I guess it's all a part of the every cliche. It's just, you know, it's something that you you think you, you want to do and you work to do. And when it comes through, now, that's, it was just really the start of the the journey. Like, the journey. did you get to, obviously, so you're drafted by, by them. Do you get out to Hartford then for training camp? Uh, we, yep. They didn't have what they do now. I mean, you see them at the draft and then you show up on whatever, September 1st or whatever the hell day do it was. Do you still get your Hartford Whalers jersey? Yeah, I do have one somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that year, we, Lake Placid, New York is training camp. So we go to fly, everybody flies to Hartford and they bus us all out to Lake Placid where the Olympics were. And uh, I, lit, I lit it up in training camp, had great training camp in all the rookie games, scored hat tricks and... I was the only drafted kid to go back with the Whalers to, to preseason. Uh, ended up scoring a game-winning goal against Buffalo in a 2-1 win. But just uh, got sent, you know, back then they just, okay, good, send you down. You're a first-year guy kind of thing. And went down and we had an 11-win season in Binghamton. And Ouch. One of the worst teams ever in the American Hockey League history. It was, it was a nightmare. Lots of stories in that, but... It was uh, a, a tough, a tough year. I scored 20 goals as a rookie in the American League. Kind of happy that way, not bad. But they moved uh, Springfield. Uh, they moved from Binghamton to Springfield. Meanwhile, Springfield wins this Calder Cup with Jimmy Roberts coaching with the Islanders farm team. Islanders moved to Capital District, how they do kind of now, and Hartford's moving their team into Springfield. Well, we're the town of Springfield and, and the season ticket holders are now losing the Calder Cup champions to inherit basically the worst team ever in American Hockey League history. So it, w- it wasn't a real warm welcoming when we come, but uh, Jimmy took that team and we brought in Mark Bergevin later in the year that year, and we had got Todd Richards brought in, and we had a Mark Greg. We had a great group of young guys that they basically gassed all the old guys from the year before and kept the young nucleus and added to it, and we won a Calder Cup. In Springfield again? So Springfield won it with the Islanders. Yeah. <laughs> and the next year they bring in the worst team previous in AHL history to win a second Calder Cup? Yeah, back-to-back. With a totally really? same coach. Jimmy Roberts wasn't leaving. He he used to live right there by by Springfield, and he wasn't going nowhere else. He was going to live there. And then Hart, Hartford hired Jimmy to take over the team, and... He took us to a, a... So what was so spectacular about Jimmy Roberts? Another phenomenal man. My, he, hockey, my he had, hockey grandpa, we'll call him. J- Jimmy's won a bunch of cups, right? Yep, Montreal. Five. He passed away here a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think five, if I remember correct. So I would call Lauren Mullican my hockey brother. Okay. Jimmy Roberts was my hockey grandpa. So that year, we won the Calder Cup. Um, next year... I mean, we're, nobody makes the Whalers from the Calder Cup winning team. Anyways, uh, move on. Well, I, well, back that up. Nobody made the Whalers after you win a Calder Cup? No, I think Terry Yake stayed up for a bit that year. Why is that? That You know, it, it's just, it's kind of refreshing, but that's how, like, in today's game, whoever wins the Calder Cup, basically there's three or four of those guys in the NHL lineup. Well, that only year. makes sense, though. That's just the way the Whalers used to do it. I mean... Not to, 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 sh- to knock on anybody. I remember they brought in uh, Mark Hunter 
that summer. Like he would yeah. he would have been aging then. I mean, yeah. a great player over the years, but to bring him in and and, and there's a couple other guys that they just guys that that were close to thirty and just brought them in to fill the roster and, and never brought anybody up. It was just kind of the old system. And then the teams that were ahead of the game were the ones developing their own their own farm system. And I mean, we could all have views on it, but at this that's crazy day, though to win a Calder Cup and, and not stick. to not to have one or two or yeah, I, I don't believe anybody stuck the holy like didn't nobody was established the next year in the NHL from that team. There were guys that we all went on and played in the yeah, NHL in the NHL, but, but not, not for, for the, the Whalers. Whalers. Not not for yeah, maybe some of them got a cup of tea and and that was about it. So the Calder Cup. Uh, like, what was that ride like? Did you guys, were you guys that good all year? Or were you an underdog? Yeah, we were walking? pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> we used to be, we we were high flying. Kind of like, we we had four lines that could score. Like, I, I played third line, I scored 25 goals. Like, we had, our, our first line had a 50 goal score and a 40 goal score. We could just, we just had lots of firepower. There's Chris Tansel, James Black, uh, Mark Gregg. Um, Ivan Corvo, Dale Henry, uh, Joe Day. There's like they're all successful in in their colleges or juniors, and then we, we just Emmanuel Viveros. Um, we were really good. Really K, good. Kay Whitmore was our goalie. He was really good in the minors. Like we just yeah we we could outscore anybody basically. But Jimmy made us play defense. So that combination is it was pretty good. It was it was a great. A, you great, know, you, a great year. When you really think about that, that's like ridiculously impressive to go from being an 11 win team to winning the Calder Cup. You know, and, and a lot of it was, it was a mindset. Like it was Jimmy, Jimmy, like we went on our first trip and we, you know, 500. Okay. Had a good time. Yeah. And guys were having fun. And it was like, this isn't happening this year. Like we, I remember going on a bus there and he just snapped and it was like, it's too much of a country club here. Like this isn't going to be how it runs. And he worked our, he worked us hard. We worked hard, but he, he was just had the biggest heart. But he he was like Walter Matthau, just a grumpy, like kind of a grumpy, grumpy old, old man, man. And just barking and funny, but just kind of some of the the ways he handled it back in those days. And never called curfew, but weigh in every Monday. You know, if you're heavy, you're not doing something right. You know, it was just like kind of old school. <laughs> You know, just pretty pretty funny how he handled. But you know, obviously we had a good group of guys and we ha- we were having success. And you know, he was he was great. What was one of the, you know, you keeping everybody in line? But what was maybe some of the things that you learned off of him that, you know, made you guys a better team, better players? Just I think, buying in, like you had to. Like there was no free rides. There was just everybody worked hard, and he kept everybody in the group. Like it was, it was never nobody exiled from the from the nucleus. Like there's no black sheep on the team. Like everybody, he just I don't know. It's he had his way. It was old school, but you know you had to read between the lines. And at those in those days, you, you could figure it out. Yeah. You know today, you, you throw some of these at some of the young kids, and they just there's no. It goes over their head, and and they'd never figure it out. But 
I mean, we, we figured it out that year and, and I, he was a, he was a big part of me getting picked in the auto expansion draft. Um, so you win a Calder cup, played another year in Springfield the next year, had a 25 goal season, but never got a chance. Was it, were you ever frustrated at that point? A little bit after training camp. I remember a guy named Luke Crawford, tough bugger winger from, it was in Boston's organization and. We were playing a exhibition game in training camp against Maine, and is like he's like, how come like lined up against it? And I mean, he was a tough bugger. He was, and he's like, what the hell are you doing in this game? And I'm like, I don't know. You should be getting a chance or something. You know, just a, one of those. Yeah, one of those conversations. Don't know him. Never yeah. had a beer with him, but just one of those things that you kind of earn respect and gain respect for a lot of guys in the in the trenches down there. And, and you know, it was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. And then we ended up with a new coach, Jay Leach. Because Jimmy went up to the Hartford, and he was an American guy that liked this college guy. You know, just kind of never just never went well, and never really got a. You know, I was basically thinking after that year is like, what's going to happen? I got, and then that's the summer of the expansion draft and get picked by Ottawa. Do so, you remember? Do you remember that day? Yeah, well, I, I just started dating my wife Jennifer, and and we're at the lake. I had a little cabin at the lake, and what, what lake? Uh, Murray Lake, Jack Murray Fishburne. Lake. Yep, yeah, Jerry. so I'm at yep. Murray Lake, yep. and I'm, and we're, I don't know what the hell day it was, Saturday or Sunday, and and my parents are out for supper, barbecuing, and and my buddy phones me, hey, I'm just watching TSN. You got picked in the expansion draft. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, we, I had no idea. I wasn't even thinking of an expansion draft. That, and sure enough, I'm like, you know, flipping on TV, and hey. So my parents, we're ecstatic. My wife's like, what's the big deal? Like, <laughs> no idea what really what's you're going thinking on. You're thinking you're going to get a shot. Yeah, here's my big chance again. And it's just, you know, went and I'm in that first inaugural program that Ottawa Senator won. Kind of a portrait picture of me, but never never did start the year there. And and went down to New Haven. What a tr- joy that was. That was an interesting an interesting year, but it, you know, followed me out of hockey after that year. You know, I was I was writing down names from that uh, Senators year. You know, you remember who led them in scoring that year? Ooh, not a not a clue. Norm McIver. Norm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Norm was a Norm was in Hartford actually when I when I was first drafted. Lauren, uh, Joel Quinville was was with the Whalers when I was drafted to the Whalers. That's where I first met him. Well, yeah, actually, the cool. Whalers had uh, Ron Francis was a captain. Unbelievable character. What do you think of him getting the job at Seattle? It's great. Like that was my first roommate in training camp. Was Ron, Ronnie Francis? I mean, just like you look at the people that they had, like Dave Tippett. Um, yeah, uh, Dave Tippett, Joel Quinville, Kevin Ray Deneen, Ferraro, Ray Ferraro, Pat Verbeek. Pat, yeah, like it's the unbelievable character, uh, Dave Babbage. Oh yeah, Dave. He Babbage. was there. Yeah. Uh, Alf Samuelson. Brian Lawton, like they had unbelievable people. Like in hindsight, now going thirty years, I mean they're all involved in high levels. Well, that's of the, game. the thing. That's why you write down the names, is because I mean Joel Quinville becomes probably so he arguably the best coach ever. I would say he was my best coach ever. Um, my first training camp, like when I went up to it, like I said, went up with the big team to to Hartford for preseason. He's like, hey, Atch. What are you doing tonight? And I'm like, I don't know, nothing. Hotel? Nope. 
you're coming out with me and Boo. We're going out for supper. Took, took me out for supper. And just, sure, like, you know, here's a veteran guy just saying, hey, Rook, come on. You know, and that was the, my first getting to know him. And as we go forward, he becomes a part of what I was able to accomplish. Um, so after expansion, I'm out of hockey. Uh, like we said, go to end up back at home in Soto Three Stars, play a little three games there, end up at Columbus, Ohio, in the East Coast. Did Did you not have an agent? Yeah, I did. I had Art Breeze to start. Um, Art, well, I mean, I moved on yeah. from him. Yeah. Um, this agent that phoned me this this year when I was out of hockey is a guy named Fred Simpson. It just it, it uh, and didn't re- didn't know him from a hole in the ground. The reason I bring uh, it's hard to fathom, you know, in today's age is you. Maybe I'm wrong and a little bit off my rocker on this, but your entire career thus point or up to this point, I'm going like, sounds like you you know you you put up seventy in the dub, which we all know doesn't exactly translate to all of a sudden your first line NHL. No, but you make it into uh, the HL, you win a Calder Cup, you're part of that now. You play another year, then you get selected in the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. It just seems like maybe there's some things. But when you look back at it, do you go, could I have done a couple of things differently? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just recognizing, you know, you're not going to be the, the Connor McDavid or, you know, the natural goal scorer that just comes out of junior. Like a lot of Mike Badano, I played the junior against it. Like, I mean, he stepped in the NHL, could score there too. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't who I was in the end. So yeah, I had to develop something else. What was what was the toughest adjustment then, right? Because I mean, you put up seventy. I would think you're thinking I can score goals. You know, I could always score, but I wasn't. I mean, I was never. I mean, I got back to like a 40, 40 some goal level in in the American League before I went to the NHL. But and I there again, I, I basically had to prove myself as a goal scorer to get a chance to go to the NHL. And <clears throat> this kind of through this whole process is. I end up in, I bounce, okay, I go to Columbus for three weeks to get in shape. I don't know, I had like two points a game right from the start there. So then I get called up to Providence. Providence Bruins go there for like an exhibition game. They're playing the Olympic team. I'm playing on a line with Darren Banks who gets kicked off the team after the game where mine is six or something. It's just terrible. Yeah. Two days after in practice, uh, we're going to send you back. I mean, I just, that was it. So I get the airport, got a note from my agent. Don't get on the plane. You're going to you're going to Portland. Portland uh, Portland Pirates. Uh, Barry Trotz, Paul Gardner, coach in there. Barry Trotz is now the. Yeah. Know, this is Washington's front team. So you hear Barry Trotz, and you're thinking, well, I just okay. I'm just in a duffel bag. Okay, I go show up in Portland, play three games, have three points, have a, a good weekend. They had a bunch of injuries. He's he's like Trotz. He's like, I want to keep you, but I, I can't because Washington has to make some moves and and open up some space for me here for you. But he says instead of sending you back to Columbus, I'm going to send you going to lend you to Swift uh, Springfield. They're they have nobody to play right now. They're hurt like they're hurt and sick. So Joel Quinville's now coaching in Springfield. So I'm like, whatever, okay. So I go, end up. Having I think twenty goals and forty points in forty games on the second half of and now I'm playing for Joel and I'm just getting to play again, kind of this whole and I don't really give a shit what how if you don't like the way I play this is how I play 
and now I'm having success. So that's my first, after being a player, my first acquaintance with Joel Quinville. And then with that, after that season, of course, there's an NHL lockout. So I end up getting a tryout contract with the Minnesota Moose, the inaugural season. Uh, go down there, actually not doing too bad. I scored the first Moose goal in Moose history, kicked it in <laughs> on Tommy Sallow. <laughs> but I'll take it. Um, kind of just a just a mess. A new organization on in the IHL. Got Dave Christian. I feel like Dave it... Snuggerud. All these kind of old players coming back to Minnesota playing. Then with the lockout, the word is that Medano and all these guys from Dallas are going to be coming to get some ice. So then basically, they have no no room for me. I now. feel like the narrative of this story <laughs> is getting kicked from one side to the other side, and could be wrong, right? But it sounds like you're putting up points, you're winning, you're, you know, you're doing most things right. Most things, but just not enough. At the end of the day, I'm just not doing enough. So then, um, I get a I get a call my agent that I had then. Uh, Jimmy Roberts is coaching an independent team in Worcester, just down this road from Springfield, half an hour down the road. So they're independent, and I go finish the rest of the season in Worcester. For so, who are you playing in, in if you're independent? Oh, we're in the American League. Oh, in the American. Well, League. we just are independent. Oh yes, I got there you. are some uh, kids yeah, from yeah, Montreal yeah. had yeah. like they, they had a couple teams. guys on loan, and then they signed yeah. their own guys, right? So it was actually St. Louis's farm team. Half St. Louis, half independent. So but what sells you on going there is Jimmy's coach, and you're like, this could be yeah, something. I'm going back. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in the country club, and <laughs> it's like, kind of a funny, so I get there, and he's like, I'm not in great shape. I mean, we just, we, I'm not in good shape right now, and this is mid-season. And he come in, and he gets everybody to do his typical weigh-in on Monday, and it's like, oh, crap, here, I got to get on the scale. So <laughs> I get on the scale. 207. Holy shit. Look, you got five pounds in your face. Oh, you can't play. And he's just ranting and raving all over him, just howling, right? And the guys are like, eyes are big as, big as saucers. And I'm, my head's down. And he's just barking. You can't effing play at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And leaves the room barking all the way down the hall. And guys are just like, holy crap. And I'm feeling about the size of a midget and I just sitting there and then everybody kind of weeded out and then the trainer says Atch Jimmy wants to talk to you <laughs> so go down there and say Atch what have you been doing I'm like I it's not it was a country climb I know I'm not I, I need you to play he says you're not in good enough shape for what I need you and I said I'll get in shape yeah, you just got to get down. I mean, I mean, he was, that's was him, right? He had to, he had his old school way and then he had a, his rub your back a little bit. But, you know, we were on the same page and basically had a, not a bad season there. I think I had 17, 20 goals in half the season. Um, he said, actually, at the end of the season, St. Louis was making a run into the playoffs and, you know, he, he Mike Keenan had phoned down to see who, who he could, who he should bring up for playoffs. And Jimmy says, Action was like his would be the guy you would want, and I wasn't on a, I was on an independent contract, and he's like, oh, I didn't get called or or signed. They'd have to sign me, right? So, anyways, 
So that one, that season ended basically like that. And Jimmy just said, you know what? Don't worry. I'll get you a job for next year. I'll make sure you got a place to play. So um, that summer, Lauren Mulliken signs on as the coach in the American League for Edmonton. Um, I went, uh, got invited to Oiler Camp, went to, on an American League contract and went to Oiler Camp and George LaRock was picked that year. He got to be kind of good buddies through him. We had the same agent at the time. Um, went down to, went down to Cape Breton and. I'm just laughing. You're seeing me smiling here. I'm laughing at your, listeners are already hearing it, but it was New Haven, Springfield, Portland, Columbus, Minnesota, Worcester, Cape Breton, and then Hershey the year after. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of... Did you ever get worn out? Or was it just a ton of fun? It was... I mean, I, I love the game. I always have. I mean, I, that's just... I, you know, to get up and be able to go Absolutely. play hockey for a job. I mean, I didn't... I hadn't put a whole lot of stake in anything else other than in playing the way I can play and play the way I want to play. And if and it... You know, after that year in Cape Breton, we didn't make the playoffs. It was a tough year out there. Um... They offered to resign me. They're moving to Hamilton. Um, I said, "Well, I want to make what, you know, I want to make seventy grand Canadian at least. Like I was making forty or something Canadian, and was second in the team to score, third top three scorer, right? And I'm like, you know, if you can give me what that, what some of the other guys were making, like I'll, oh no, we're not paying nobody that this next year. They said, whatever. I said, I'll run my chances. So that's the the summer I signed with Hershey. Uh, Bob Hartley's coaching, uh, half independent, half Colorado. Uh, Quinville's the coach, assistant coach with uh, Crawford in, in Colorado. They had won the cup maybe the year before. Um, I was first team all-star in the American Hockey League that year. We won the Calder Cup again. We made a run right to the end and actually broke my ankle in the second round. Got slashed. Uh was made it back for the last series after surgery and we won the Calder Cup. I was leading, I was leading, I think I was leading the league in points when I got hurt and then, you know, one ended up winning anyways and had a, maybe an assist in the last game. And then that's the summer I signed in uh, St. Louis. Let's think about, or let's stop on the Calder Cups for a second. Do you go ever get back to, does Springfield ever have, alumni to come back and celebrate that or does Hershey Hershey did uh three years ago I think it was did uh, you go back uh my bought my daughters both played for team Saskatchewan in the North American Indigenous Games in Toronto okay on volleyball yeah and uh the, the the same weekend Hershey was having their I actually had a ticket that I walked away from my girls made it to the gold medal game and what are you it was do? it was yeah <laughs> what are you gonna do you know, text and, and phone the guys. A bunch of them had made it back. They didn't have the ret- the turnout that they were hoping. It was a 20-year reunion. And and got to, Bob McGill was a coach with that year. Uh, and, and Bob Hartley and then a bunch of the guys that were there. Anyways, missed that one. But uh, still stay in touch with a few of those guys every once in a while. But that was uh, one of them. What is the uh, after party like after winning a Calder Cup? Well, Hershey's an unbelievable place. Like that is, you're in the middle of nowhere. You got chocolate, the smell of chocolate everywhere. <laughs> the the old the old Coliseum was unbelievable. Like sat about eight thousand people, and it, the seats were basically straight up and down. Like 
they had railings in the third balcony that you, so you don't fall out of your seat basically and i love that rink but i mean we <clears throat> we won on the road and, okay so we beat hamilton in the finals who wouldn't sign me the year before cape breton we beat cape breton in the finals basically that year so that was against lauren mulliken and 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 scott uh scott hausen who was the the general manager down there at that time for the cape breton oilers so Anyways, that was the was salt that, in the wound. Was that a little bit of a <laughs> that was a revenge? Good feeling? Yeah, it was yeah, a good absolutely. feeling. To shake hands in the in the hall after that one, and uh, that one. Uh, so, but Hershey, we went on the road. We come back, and they had a just a, a meet and greet at the arena. They had ten thousand people. What was that like? It was like it was retarded. It was crazy. We show up to the rink, and I'm like, oh my, it's like full. And they have a stage, like a rock show is going to happen. And we went up and basically just a couple, you know, did they said there's this and that and had little speeches and they cheered and maybe showed a couple clips. I don't know if they had any clips of those old old technology, but, you know, it was just a big party. And then they had to sign autographs. It must have been four hours. I think every person in that building got in line to get an autograph. Anyways, it was it was a lot of fun. We had, it was a cool experience. It was right? a cool like, experience. I mean, we just we just needed a little something to wet or whistle a little bit to keep the line going. <laughs> <laughs> but it was we had a lot of fun. Uh, that was a great a great group of guys. Um, all kind of went somewhere a little bit. We had a few guys that continued on that made it to the who, NHL. Who was the best guy after hours to go hang out with in your career? Like who? Who knew Ooh. how to have a good time? You know, it's different. American League and NHL are totally yep. different. Like yep. American League, you got twenty guys, <laughs> so you know it was just you know it was a group. It was just like junior hockey. NHL, you get to do that a little bit on the road, but you're still it's business. It's a it's a different. It's a different atmosphere. But those, not to say they don't have fun and have, but it's just a different kind. So it's more, a, more like a, a frat guy? party and a business party. I mean, one guy we had, Jamie McLennan was a, he was a blast. He was our backup back goalie, goalie and, in St. And, Louis, and he was awesome. Like he was one of the one of the best guys you could meet. And you know that was our group. Called us all shit bums. We're the shit bums. Like just the fill in of the cast, the third, fourth liners, the grinders, and. He had so he was always had some line going or and funny some experiences with him. He wasn't shy to meet anybody. He sees a star, he just right out in their face. Yeah, Jamie McLennan, St. Louis Blues, nice to meet you. It's like Lawrence Fishburne or like his actors you'd run into on the LA trips, <laughs> right in their face. Jeff Goldblum, nice to meet you. Jamie McLennan, goalie, St. Louis Blues. So it's like, <laughs> I'd be just like, I'd just ride the coattail because I could never do that as a person. <laughs> but he was, he was pretty good. Were you ever uh, starstruck by anybody? Um, not really starstruck. I guess you, you just kind of get into a little, it's a little different world. Yeah. You know, what is kind of, you kind of, kind of pinch yourself sometimes is because you, you're starting to meet these people that either they're movie stars or, you know, or guys that you played against. I mean, idolized growing up it's like you know you're sitting in the same room as al mcginnis i mean i'm thinking shit and you, you know you're on a, on the same level as a teammate and you know there's just those were kind of things because i guess even hind hindsight and post post hockey i don't ever really consider myself anything different than 
Yeah, the next, the next average guy, guy over. Like, just, I was. Did uh, McKinnis shoot the puck that hard? Ooh, crazy, like uh, with a wood twig. Yeah, heavy. Like I don't know. I, he would never shoot like that on his own goalies. Like yeah, yeah. really half half slappers in practice. Never, never full out on his own guy. Like but that. he just had when he let it go, mm. it was a rocket. It's just different. I don't know. Like these guys are going up over his numbers now, but and I'm sure they're hard. But he did you just, see in the AHL a guy shot 109 this year? Wow, like that's fast. I mean, him him when he was breaking 100, he was a heavy hundred. Yeah. Like Brett Hall's pucks seem to go just as fast, but I don't. They seemed quicker, but not as heavy. I don't. It's a weird thing. With some the way some guys can shoot, it just I guess with Brett it was just so natural. Didn't even look like he's trying to shoot it. Yeah, and then off it went. Yeah, yeah, it was just technique was phenomenal, and then Al was just like just like brute muscle, <laughs> heavy. <laughs> so let's talk about getting uh, a full time role in the show. Well, it was that was the summer after a Calder Cup in Hershey, just living, you know, not even, not even a thought of NHL. Just happy to, you know, I actually was hoping maybe there's a chance I could end up in in, uh, in Europe for a few years and make a couple bucks to kind of get me started in the post-life. And um, driving down the road, coming from North Battleford, heading to the lake, and I get a call from my agent, and I got uh, St. Louis Blues want to offer me a contract, and then the next day Calgary Flames want to offer me a contract, and it's like, but Clincher, I still got another year with Hershey that I didn't have an out clause from my last agent. <laughs> so instead of a bidding war, it ended up being a war of who could make a deal with Hershey to satisfy them. And basically, St. Louis compromised and said, if we send him down, he's going to Hershey the first year. And then the second year of the contract, if we send him down, he's going to their affiliate, whoever it was. Yeah. And so be it. I was just pumped. Joel Quinville's the head coach. Jimmy Roberts is the assistant. Wow, that's a, that's Louis. the two guys that end up in. I, I knew Quinville was the coach, but Jimmy, Roger Nielsen was the third. No kidding. Um, John Ferguson Jr. is the assistant general manager. Was my teammate in New Haven. So everybody knew you. Yeah, Brad Tree Living was a teammate in New Haven. Yeah, you you just and I guess you're, you you threw me something that you learn. You never burn bridges. Yeah, absolutely. In yeah. in 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 life, you just. You treat everybody with as much respect and you can and, and don't burn a bridge. I mean, I just don't, like, these names continue to come back, you know. Um, so that, so I have a great year. In, well, in, well, we got to talk about the first year in the Blues. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I was looking at the names. So you got Quimble oh. Coach, and you just added a whole bunch that I didn't even realize. But then you got Brett Hall, his last year, mm-hmm. Al McKinnis, Pierre Tirjean, Jeff Cortnell, Chris Pronger, Steve Duchesne was. I always think when I, I had to write the name down because I always remember Don Cherry, Rock'em Sock'em, whatever number that is. Was that Duchesne again? That was Duchesne again. You remember that? Do you no, remember? I don't. You don't remember that? <laughs> Duchesne was the one who played for the. He was Quebec Nordiques. Was he Quebec? Did he play for the Kings too? Yeah, he did. I think he did. So when he's playing for the Kings, Don Cherry has this thing on Rock'em Sock'em. I'll have to show it to you after Rock'em Sock'em. I don't want to say five to eight somewhere in there yeah. and, uh, in the newman household dad always got the new rock'em sock'em for christmas <laughs> so the first thing after presents was we go watch the new rock'em sock'em every christmas boom that's what happened 
And this one comes up. Duchesne had uh, shot a puck into the bench, I, I think. And Don Cherry's narrating it going, is that Duchesne again? And he's talking as if he's the coach. And he goes, if that's Duchesne again, he's getting traded. And then I saw Duchesne <laughs> on the St. Louis Blues uh, roster when you go there. I'm like, oh, yeah. Is that Duchesne again? Yeah. Um, you had Craig Conroy. Would have been a young Craig Conroy. That was my centerman. There you go. And Scott, Grant and Grant Fearnet. Grant Fearnet. Scott Pellerin was our yes. other lineman. Yeah. Uh, we had a CPA line that year. We ended up kind of, we were the checking line. Um, so, yeah, we are fourth overall in the NHL that year, that team. Uh Darren Turcott was there too. Like, yeah, good uh, hockey Pascal team. Rio. Yeah, it was a great. I mean, a great team. We were really good. Just come up short. Mark Bergevin, their second time with him, won the Calder Cup the first time with him, and then you know teammates again. Um, got myself. You know, I got the phone call that Joel Quinville phones me at home, like after I, I signed my contract, and he's like, "How many games did you play in the NHL in Hartford?" Actually, and I was like, "Just exhibition." Well, well, it's, I think it's about time you played in the NHL. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure, I'm there. Okay, so, I mean, there's, I got another guy that believes, trusts, um, support, you know, and, and I went in the tre- preseason, I, I think I led the team in scoring. Like, I was up, right, I played lots of games, but I, I scored. I was scoring in preseason. So they keep me there, um, start the season. I think I went first 10 games and no goals. I was penalty killing. I mean, I went from being a well. Let's before we get too again. far into it. What okay. was your first? Because you, we talked about uh, with Ottawa, and it, you know, four games. It was kind of a dream gone. And mm-hmm. with the St. Louis Blues, what was your first game like? Like your first regular season game where you stepped on the ice, you got the crowd. Where was it? You know, I I can't even remember. I I can remember parts of preseason. Um, I remember scoring my first goal, spinning around a backhand from the red line, empty netter. That was your first goal as a St. Louis Blue? <laughs> yeah. Last minute of the game, empty Against net. Against who? Uh, San Jose. San Jose. No goalie. <laughs> they all count. That's right. <laughs> Got the puck. <laughs> but, yeah, that was, uh, you know, just uh, had, a, yeah, had a great preseason, scored some nice goals, and they kept me, and but... That's the thing with Joel. He knew I could play without the puck and put me into a checking role. And that's really, in hindsight, I had to develop in the American League is to be, you know, I have to find something that's going to be an asset. And I could think the game, I guess, back then, the you know, yeah. good hockey sense, sort of say, and, and kill penalties. I mean, that was, and that's basically the role I got slotted in when I went to St. Louis, play a checking line and, and kill penalties. Got Brett Hall, Pavel Dimitri, Pierre Church on the score of the goals. goals. You know, and then when I got a chance, I'd score. So it was like, you know, that was kind of like our whole third line was kind of like that. And we we had a great year. Conroy really, I think, should have won the the Selkie Trophy. That he was up for it that year. Um, He it was. I mean, we just shut down teams. We every time Lindros's line would be on the ice, we're on. You know, it was we were always line matching with. What was playing against Lindros like? Well, the. The first time we played against them, we 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 outscored them. I think one or two goals our line scored. That he was end up minus, and then something come up in the paper how this minor league line. <laughs> the next time we, we played them, I don't never saw a group of guys. It was the Legion of Doom line that I never seen pucks pass that hard and that fast. And those guys were huge. Like there was no stopping them that second time. But um, 
you know, it was kind of the, that was our challenge every night was to, to shut down line. I remember we were playing against uh, Anaheim one night in St. Louis and Solani and Korea were every time they're on the ice, we're on the ice and Solani, <laughs> it's kind of comical at the time. We're all kind of whistle goes by our net and he looks at us. He said, you guys don't even try and score. This isn't hockey. You don't even try and score. <laughs> No, it wasn't our job. We were just make sure you don't score. And then and Conroy, he got a kick out of that because we finally got a reaction out of out of him, and it was a Finnish accent. Just he was just frustrated. He didn't know what to do with us. So that was yeah. But that was who are some other guys you would have played against that year that really come off your that you were trying to shut down? Do you have to go against a great one then? Now the first year, yeah, I think we actually the that was he. We would have, I don't know if we played a bunch against him. I can't, like, I don't, I remember playing against him the first time I ever played Because he would against, have been in, what, New York by then? Yes, okay. We only played him the once. The once. Yeah, that's. Right, because back then. Yeah, it was kind of a cra- crazy, sk- uh, and, and didn't really get to play much, but I believe the first time we ever played against him, my first shift against him, it was a corner draw in our end. He poked the puck forward between the centerman's legs, stepped around him, went off the side of the net, straight out in front to Adam Graves for a goal. Like, and it wasn't, you know, it would be like if it was me doing that, it would be a fluke, but it was totally what he tried to do. He couldn't pass it through the guy, so he passed it around him using the side of the net to get it to him right in, in between the, the hash marks. And I was like, wow. Okay, we'll give you that one. <laughs> but it was, it was impressive. I mean... He just does, I mean, every time we played him, it's like, well, you never got close to him to hit him because the puck's gone long before he ever, so you just kind of, a, a slow trail behind the play kind of with him on the ice. That's pretty cool, though. Oh, it was, yeah, you, you pinch yourself every day when you're in that league. I mean, I did. Let's talk about then. The second expansion draft. Because you, now you're playing <laughs> yeah. on a team by all the sounds of it. you got Quimbley, you got all these guys who are putting you in the right place to succeed by the sounds mm. of it, right? Yep. Had a great season. I mean, I was, it was, you know, you kind of, one of those aha moments just before we get to there was the season ended finally. Okay. In the second round against uh, Detroit. Lost in six games. Well, well, we could talk about playoffs for a second. Absolutely, because you're ta- we talked about at the start with Stevie Y. Stevie Y is my yeah. favorite player. And, and that's where we lost in the second round. And it was like... Wow. They were unreal. Yeah, it was... Is that the year they go on to win the cup? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They won the cup that year. So, um, well, just at the end, we were all having beers in the room. And yeah. the dust has settled. We lost out. And, you know, it's my first full season in the NHL. And it's like... Al McGinnis sitting there and he's like, Ach, where the F did you come from? <laughs> where have you been? <laughs> you know, and it was just that, I guess you've earned the respect of, yeah. of, a, of, a, of a teammate and obviously a Hall of Famer that, you know, you, you belong there. And Which is really cool. Yeah, that was my, one of my, you know, greatest feelings and, and moments that, you know, it was only for me and it was something that I cherish. Yeah, that and I something you can look back on. Yep. And- would have been a special moment sitting in the dressing room having a cold one. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it was lots of fun, that was for sure. But now we got to, like, must have been heartbreaking 
to were, were you paying attention to the second expansion draft? Because now Nashville's getting well, a chance to bring a team in. Now it's a little more, a little more. Uh, the old one you didn't even know it was on. This, this one, it's there's a little more hype about it now, and uh, so that one, well, I get picked, and Barry Trotz is the coach, so I'm kind of going back to a familiar face from junior who was a scout, uh, played from for. Uh, short little bit in the American League and now how, he's, how he's did you ahead. find out Were well you watching that one yeah that one I kind of had a I, there was a chance I would be going just because of contract situations and the the parameters of what was available like you know like the Vegas one was totally different they could they were picking top six guys basically you know yeah. top six where bottom six guys were all that were available to the Nashville time so I mean, that one was kind of new. Maybe there was a chance, you know, and then again, you, you, you think, here here's another great opportunity, like starting with a franchise and, you know, maybe you sign something longer and, you know, you get to stay there for a few years. But uh, it was fun. It was more like the American Hockey League going there because everybody was new to the city. We had no Brett Halls, Al McGinnis's, no superstars on our team. You had Cliff Ronning, Greg yeah. Johnson, <laughs> and Sergey. Chris Krasoff. That's right. Chris Krasoff. Yeah, Joel Bouchard. I mean, we were all kind of we we're all in the same boat. We, Scotty Walker. Like we had fun. We had a uh, Halloween party we hosted. I mean, it was a blast. Like it was like it was like junior slash American Hockey League. The whole teams there dressed up in costumes. I can't really say who was in the the French fry outfit, but he was passed out in the front yard by the end of the night. In the morning, you know, it was just one of those fun parties. You know, like how they used to be um not the catered ones and it was just like everybody grabbed a case of beer and shows up and <laughs> and have a lot of music and a lot of laughs but that was a lot of fun um there's a lot of firsts there with that team and it was a, a new game to a new market um got to meet a few stars here and there there with them in the music business who is who was some of the people you met in in country town uh well the dixie chicks were big then Oh yeah, um, th- yeah, they were hanging around quite a bit at the at the wives' room, and and Mindy McCready, Drake Berhowski was dating her there for a while, and then you know Tim McGraw and, and Vince Gill were always at the games, and you know Trisha Year, they were just kind of everybody was kind of ooh, what is this all about now? Yeah. You know they were in, intrigued by it, and there were some of them were fans, and 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 you know you got to do that for a bit, but then come trade deadline, I got traded back to St. Louis. How happy were that? At the time, I was really happy. I mean, because we were, they had a good team again, and and we're going to the playoffs. I guess were you were you at all concerned, or I don't know, watching trade deadline? I always, I grew up in the era of, and I mean, it's still going on. Trade deadline, they still try and make out to be this giant day, but I really lived through the era of where trade deadline was an actual trade deadline, and there were giant people getting moved left, right, and center. Yeah, you saw giant trades all the time and as a fan it was uh, incredible to watch i'm assuming as a player it was a lot different and i don't know if i mean were... i really wasn't expecting it then yeah. i mean I, we were in tampa and just on a road trip and you know got called in and before practice and it's like come in and his trotsy's there and guards and paul gardner was a superman like a super assistant coach both of them you know they were we had a long relationship, I guess, through all the years of from junior with Trotsky. And, you know, it was like, it wasn't his favorite. You know, I, I was maybe one of the guys he really liked, and it wasn't his dealing, right? So he's just pa- 
sending the message and saying, hey, thanks. And, you know, it was kind of I was sad because they were such good guys and good people to be working with. And, and as coaches, I loved them. Uh, but then when they said, you're going back to St. Louis, I was like, okay, that's not so bad either. And we, you know, had actually from Tampa all the way to Vancouver. So the longest flight you can you could possibly do and then back to the Quinville practices and it's like holy shit I'm got to work a little harder again yeah. <laughs> just the, just the type of practices he run a we didn't have those in Nashville with that group so but it was what was it like walking back in the locker room with St. Louis that must have been a homecoming a, a homecoming yeah, yeah it like was a nice... really you know I got along Chris Pronger got along with really well um well, McLennan was there still. Like, just there was a kind of a group of friends there that Scotty Pellerin and, and Conroy. So it was like, yeah, it was just coming home. And and uh, I guess we, you know, just got back there. And he initially said, I don't know how much you're going to get in because they had, you know, Jamal Mayers was coming up, Tyson Nash, and some guys that were scratching their way up kind of in my role. And then got in there and basically never, never left the lineup, got to play the whole whole time through so um it was uh, yeah another great experience another got to play in the playoffs again what, lost in six games to dallas with brett on the other side well, of the yeah, coin, and, and they went on the win again i mean it was such a fine line there with both years losing in six in the second round to eventual cup winners yeah that you know it was there but you just couldn't you know just couldn't touch it and i guess that, that's my my closest closest stint to the cup really is is that so well i was saying to you like uh so brett hall your first year was st louis and then the next year when you're coming back brett hall is signed with dallas and everybody remembers the infamous goal against oh, buffalo yeah. in the finals <laughs> and everything else right yeah but what was it like the atmosphere you guys beat uh at the time it would have been the phoenix Coyotes on arizona yeah. you beat phoenix but, in game seven one nothing on uh point shot that gets tipped out front i believe by Scott young shot it i think yeah and Tur turjon or, or maybe turjon shot it and scotty young tipped it or one of the turjon tips it. okay is that, yeah well that beats, was a classic and, nhl and like, beats hey. <laughs> and beats nikolai happy boolin in that the boolin wall yeah that's it right was, uh it was a that was an amazing series we were we come out we were better team than them i thought we were in the end but um it was, I want to say, we. what did we go down? It was 3-1, but there was, to go down three games to one, Dallas Drake come by our bench and taunted us, like with, you know, on an empty net goal or something that, to put a nail in the coffin. I think and it was in St. Louis. And Al, and Al never said much. Pronger was the captain then, but Al was the leader. Right. And Al spoke. You listened. And, and he was mad, like, real mad and al was always the most coolest calmest guy and he'd get a little fire but he was pissed and you know i i mean i was just like i'm with you like he just he was he said there's no effing way we're shaking those guys hands like we're not it's not how and he was like we're not doing it and so sure enough next game we come back we win and then all of a sudden we win again and then we're going to game seven and it's like hey this can happen and and if there's a there's a part in Jamie McLennan's book I can't recall it off, but he talks about that series about Fierzy saying, "All you need is one voice. I got the rest." And 
And there's another Forrest Gump moment. I'm sitting, I was sitting beside Furzy, and Jamie was on the other side, and just the way the dressing room was, I remember him saying it now, and I'm like, oh, I remember that now. And sure enough, I mean, we went to overtime, and that was, that was, I played a lot that game. I had about 25 or 26 minutes, and yeah, we won that. We won nothing, and that was just amazing. That was one of the, I mean, we come back from three games to one and and beat those guys and. You know, it was like Al McGinnis was the one that spearheaded that hole. And it was a mindset. It was like, yeah, they are, we are better, and now we got to go prove it. And it was pretty cool. Absolutely. Should teach your player, or people should teach their players to, uh, well, it only took a couple words. Oh, yeah. It was. Right? And if you hadn't have done it, who knows what would have happened. Actually, wouldn't I, have fired McGinnis up and wouldn't have led I to drill, that. I drilled Dallas Drake in that game. And it was either late in the third period or like just a, one of those op, uh, suicide pass hits. Yeah. <laughs> and I got him like shoulder square right in the nose and smacked his nose. And like, I remember prongs being just pumped, but I, I got them. <laughs> but it, I, I catch it on, I think you can pull it up on YouTube. But late in the game there, he's going and we just shook hands and his nose was plugged full of batten because it was. It oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I got him good. And it wasn't dirty, but it was it was it was hard. And I mean, I I, I wasn't the crusher hitter, it wasn't the fighter way, but it was just when well, hey, I was the opportunity was there, and I went all in on it, and it worked out better for me, anyways. <laughs> you remember what it was like having the Dallas Stars come to town with Brett Hall on their team? Was there? Yeah, they were good. They, I mean, they had a good team that year. They were they were hard to play against. I still think Eddie. Eddie Belfour was lucky so much in his his style. I mean, obviously, you can't deny his, how good he was, but it's just... I actually read was, a stat today of you guys going into game six against him, obviously down three games to two, and in the first five games, you'd outshot him four of them. And at one point, you'd outshot him like by plus 10, plus 15, and the commentators were saying the giant difference in the series at that point was that Eddie Belfour had been standing on his head. Luck or not. Yeah, I mean, he played, like, he, it was those, like, things would come off and go through his leg and then miss the net. Like, it yeah. was just like, I'm like, it's, it's not, you're just getting frustrated as a player. Like, it's not like he's really making the save. He's just yeah. horseshit lucky. But, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he was obviously horseshit good. But, you know, you can't deny that. But, it, you know, in the heat of the moment, it's like, this goddamn guy is lucky. It's not, he's not making the save. It's just not going in the net. <laughs> but, you know, they went on and. Deservedly so won the Stanley Cup, I, th- I think. What was it like walking in those buildings, the atmosphere, the... Oh, playoffs is totally... I mean, you know, I I just... that's If one thing I pull, and, and if there's anything anybody always says you miss, it's it's those 23 games I got to play in the playoffs. Like, those were... They're just another level of intensity. And, and in today's... And at that time, you don't realize how big it is when you're in the midst of it all, like, it's just like you're doing what you're doing every day. And then, you know, and I think it took a, a year or two after being done and coming home and sitting with my buddies and, you know, going to Boston pizza or something for watch a game and how, but you don't, you, at the time, you don't understand how many people really follow it. Like, it's just, this country's engulfed in hockey. In hockey, comes to specifically playoff. playoff hockey. You know, and it was just like, wow, I didn't realize how, big it was i mean it was just something that i was doing for myself and enjoying for myself and but it, it, it's kind of you know make you step back and think holy crap that was pretty cool now after 
that year, you go back to the minors, correct? Nope. Um, after that year, or you go to I, I'm it's I was a group two free agent, and you know Corey Schwab can even this is the same time there was some collusion going on I believe within the league because salaries were starting to rise and owners weren't happy, and Corey Schwab had a deal with Tampa Bay. Okay. On Friday, they verbally agreed. And they said, okay, well, we'll do the paperwork on Monday. Um, and I think Monday comes, we can't sign you, is what happened to Corey. I've, I've been told I can't, we can't, like whoever was doing the dealing, can't sign him. Then I don't get qualified for my qualifying offer. Like a whole bunch of guys were like, Nobody's getting contracts. Like, and it was on, it was like, shit, like there's nothing. And all of a sudden, you know, I didn't, I had a pretty good year last year. Not bad. Like, you know, and if nothing's happened, but it was kind of league wide. There's lots of guys all of a sudden got stalled and it was like, so then I went, um, my agent at the time, uh, Pat Morris with Newport sports, like He's like, I don't, you know, what's going on here? We kind of knew where you you would fall in, and, and this isn't right, and I don't know what's going on, and nobody's talking. Like, they can't say it's collusion, because. But anyways, I end up uh, agreeing to terms with with Chicago. I forgot about Chicago. And I have a contract agreed upon. Just a matter. I went to camp late, got there, and then they were at fifty contracts. As soon as they got rid of one guy, then they're gonna. They're, they're in the works of getting rid of somebody. So I went, and it was kind of ironic. I met Camp. Um, they they got they traded some guy to somebody else. There's a there's a roster spot open that they can sign me, and nothing's happened for a day. And I'm like, my agent's like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, St. Louis comes back after not qualifying me and says, we understand he's in Chicago, but... You know, he, I had an out clause. If someone else was going to sign me, then I could go. Like, I could just leave Chicago and go to Tampa or wherever. But it was St. Louis who called again. And as soon as that happened, Chicago signs me. So I end up signing for two years for my last two years there. And, and What was playing in Chicago? The Windy City? The Madhouse? Oh, it wasn't no Madhouse. It wasn't no Madhouse. Not then. No. Uh, Lauren Malkin. Yeah. was my coach again. He was the head coach. Funny um, how... The same guys. <laughs> same guys continue to come back. They obviously thought very highly of you to bring you well, around the... I got, you know, they give me, they continue to open the door later in my career. And, and uh, you know, the first year was a tough year. Chicago wasn't going anywhere fast. And it was brutal team. Yeah, we had good, Tony Amonti, Alex Zamnoff, Boris Mirnoff. Big had, Bobby Probert. Bobby Probert, great guy. Roomed with him on the road a little bit. Like, what was rooming with Probert like? Oh, great! He was he was a he was a kind soul. Like yeah. he was no, he was he was a great guy. Um, lots of lots of laughs with him. He he was he, he was do anything for anybody on a on a team. Eddie Olchuk was there. Um, that was his last year, I think, or second last year. Yeah, it was. We had some on paper not shouldn't be too bad, but just Lauren got fired, then they brought in Elpo Sazonin dog food with Don Cherry used to call him or whatever but it was that was a you used to call him dog food yeah Alpo Don Cherry had made some reference to him on coach's corner Alpo isn't that dog food or <laughs> some stupid thing and Anyways, then it, it was just a bad 
a bad environment. It was just not going. And then once, uh, Mr. well, once uh, probably in hindsight, once Mr. Wirtz passed away, um, you know, the, his son took over the organization and, and put another a new stamp on direction. And then, you know, they hired Joel, Joel Quinville and they get Patrick Kane and Taves. And, I mean, obviously. Oh, it proves it, 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 yeah, it turned around. Yeah. It turned around a lot. But it was a tough two years there. The second year I ended up getting sent down to, to Norfolk a bit, up and down. And, um, yeah, and it was just. A, and that's at age 31. Yeah, I think so. Somewhere yeah. in there. And then basically. uh Season ended, got home, started to go for my first run for the, and my knee buckled, and I was back in Chicago getting knee surgery, and said, "Oh, two weeks will be up and going," and two months later, it still wasn't really up and going, and that's when I decided that that's uh, that's enough. So, what do you miss about playing then? Hmm. You know, I just I love going to the rink. I, I was always one of those four o'clock in the afternoon guys that get there for a seven thirty game. I'm up there at four with the trainers, just and practice ends, leaving with the trainers kind of guy. Just doing a little workout, fixing sticks. Yeah. Just love being in the room. Just love the you know the the group, the guys, the the life. Really, it was you know I guess it was all all you ever dreamed of. Time was about ten or a hundred. I mean. You think of what it would be like to play in the NHL, and when you got there, it was it was more than I ever expected. So, it was it was worth worth the grind. And who was one of the best guys behind the scene? I would think of like a trainer, equipment manager, somebody who's an unsung hero. Who was one that sticks out? Um, you know, trainers. I I love the trainers. I always really did. Uh, probably the first one, a guy named Ralph Calvinese. He's still in Springfield, working with the American League team there. Um, and that's since well, that he was there in the late eighties, so he's still going. I think he's still thirty plus years yeah, then. All that. Um, Bert Godin was our equipment guy in 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 St. Louis. Awesome. I was back a few years ago, just out of the blue for a weekend to watch some games, and and I mean, I passed the hello on to Bert down, and he come flying out of the room and into the, <laughs> had a big visit with him. Um, that's pretty cool yeah and then you know we had gapper and, and troy parchment okay from from chicago like troy's from saskatoon he went to school in saskatoon and he met i actually know his brother now and that but those are they were always great like i always respected those guys for the work they did i guess i mean i mean you you, you play so long in the minors you see really how tough it is like those guys are basically by themselves down there you maybe have you have your equipment guy and your medical guy so those two guys you know, American League, you're usually unloading your bus a lot of the times, and but you know the late trips, they they do it on their own, and and you know you do recognize that I guess over the years and how hard those guys work, and and not to say they have more staff in the NHL, but they also have a lot more. I mean, it's a lot more work because you're traveling is totally different airplanes, and you know it's not baggage carriers that do that stuff. It's 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 the uh, it's the train staff that are hoofing that stuff on the airport in the airplanes a lot of times and getting it on the trucks from the air, rink to the airport and, and then unloading and it's and then you get there the next day and your stuff's all in your stall and you just come and put it on you know it's just so I guess always I always had a, you know, a a true respect for them and I always made a point of taking them out for supper or something on a road trip just just as a thank you every year to do something something for them all the work they do yeah yeah 
I wanted to get to this way, way earlier, but you said one of the coolest persons to influence your life was your dad. And then you mentioned he'd been in a residential school uh, north of Lloyd here, yep. Onion Lake. Did he ever talk to you about that? Oh, yeah. Not not uh, not for a long time. Yeah. Not for a long, long time. Um, I know this is completely switching gears, but yeah. I'm looking at the time and I'm going, I better make sure I bring this up <laughs> because I was talking about it with, with my... Um, with my wife before I came, she taught at uh, Little Pine, okay, uh, South Painton there for three years, and um, you know when you first sent me the residential school thing, I was like, holy crap, right? Like, you know, if you don't read into it at all, lots of people don't even realize what went on, and I don't know. It's uh, why I wanted to bring it up because I, I was just curious if you, you know, when you said it is the coolest person that influenced your life. And that he had been a part of a uh, residential school. And it's, you know, from Hillmont, my hometown, yep. that's like 20 minutes. That's awfully close. Yeah. Um, well, my grandfather, like my dad, oh, I want to, offhand, I think there's, there's over 15 kids in the family. And however the system worked back then, I mean, um, they were told that they were supposed to send these kids to to the school, and my grandfather wasn't one to raise conflict. So if they said this is what's good for them, this is what we're going to do, and you know, I think there is about four or five of my uncles and aunts that went. Went, and I think my dad he went for quite a few years. There, I don't know which one of them went the longest, but it was. Uh, yeah, I guess. It, I mean, it's all been documented. It's it wasn't very good. Um, you know, I think you, you got to learn from your mistakes. I don't think you can continue to carry that forward. Yeah. And, and you know, it's been acknowledged that it was wrong. Um, you know, I don't know how many times anybody can say sorry or what amount of money is going to fix anything that's happened in the past. Uh, but I know it was a very, um, you know, he didn't, he wouldn't talk about it for a long time. And then when it did, it was, there's, there was a lot of emotions that were, you know, opened up that, and thinking, holy, you know, your big burly dad that is the toughest in the world is, you know, just a, you know, a man trying to survive. And, and, and I guess that part of, you know, that part of his life and my grandfather pushing my dad to be a hockey player, um, you know, I think it was a light that went on that my grandfather saw, hey, he's got a gift that can get him out of where we're at. Um. I'm going to make him do it. And, you know, and I think in hindsight, that's my dad says, I never loved the game, but you know, my, my dad made me do it. And then it did, you know, in hindsight, took him off the reserve and, 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 you know, he learned to, to hard work and, you know, become a farmer after, I mean, we farmed on the reserve for years and, you know, putting in work and, and being a contributing member of the, of, of the community. Um, you know, give me my, I guess my, set my expectations. Like he played in the Western League, I had to play in the Western League. You know, and I, and me personally as a kid, I was like, well, my dad won a IHL Championship Turner Cup. Well, I went, I well, I got two Calder Cups, so I always had to kind of outdo him by one. And I guess the, the in my mind is, in, but at the end of the day, my feather in the cap is I I made it to the NHL, and you know, I mean, there's. That's my own was my own goal, I guess, or uh, that I set out. I mean, and it was always my dream, you know. And his his 
his involvement in hockey transferred into becoming my dream. So um, I think that's, you know, that's where could be um, something positive that had has spun off of that situation and, and that part of his life that he wanted to be more than, than just a victim. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I mean, like, that's... I didn't realize your dad had made it that far. I didn't realize, you know, we'd mention it right at the top yeah. that he'd, you know, gotten drafted by the Boston organization, but we never really went further than that. Yeah. And so he was a guy who actually won a Turner Cup. Yeah, he he played in Estevan with Greg Shepard, uh, Skip yeah, Drake. Skip, I mean, yeah. I've, known, I've met those guys and those names. Um, Dale Hoganson from Battleford. Uh, they played down in Estevan, and they beat... Uh, beat Flint Lee used to go head to head with Reggie Leach and Bobby Clark in yeah. the junior days, and and they won the league and went to the Memorial Cup. They went to a Memorial Cup one year in Niagara Falls. Uh, it was a best of seven against Niagara Falls, and played all their games out there. But he made it there, and then he continued on to Bruins camps, and just I mean that's when Bruins were really good, and just there was no room. Um, he always said that I guess the Rangers had interest in him, and but in those days there was no. You know, and a little different time. You you're not going to give a guy to to somebody else kind of thing. So we should bring up you know uh, what you're doing now. You'd mentioned going to I believe Yukon Northwest Territories. Am I yeah, correct in that? That uh, John Shabbat got a hold of me last year, and uh, he's put together an Aboriginal, our Indigenous uh, NHL alumni team. That last year we traveled with uh, Bobby uh, Brian Trottier. Reggie Leach, Jamie Leach, Aaron Asham, myself, John Shabbat, uh, uh, Rick Natras was along. He he's a he's a great talker and speaker. And then we brought JSO Ben just as a goalie. They they needed a goalie, so <laughs> goalies know, are always hard some to of these guys can, weren't First Nation people or yeah. Indigenous, but they they contributed to the to the to the cause kind of thing. And we went up to these uh, isolated communities up north and and. Uh, would meet the chief and council in the community and then go to the schools and meet the kids and either do a classroom things with the kids and or or a, like a an assembly and then we would usually put on a, a couple clinics couple hour clinics for the kids for the hockey players and then at the end of the day we'd play their local senior team or whatever old timer team we yeah. had and just a fun game and and then they usually give us a meal after the day and it, it's it was really uh it was just unbelievably great. Um, I can't say enough for guys like Brian Trotchy and, and Reggie Leach. That whole group is there for the right reason. It was They had nothing but time for people. It was never, okay, I mean, how many more do we have to sign or how much longer do we have to? They, they would, if nobody took them out of there, they'd be still there today. I mean, that's just the kind of people those guys are. And and the group that John Shabbat has put together, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I think... Um, you know, you can just see it in the the kids and the people's eyes when us as a group. I mean, if it wasn't really for Trotz and, and, and Reggie, I mean, they're the headliner guys. We understand that, but you know, the the kids are excited just to see anybody that played in the NHL, and and those guys have pretty some pretty unique stories of their their successes and their you know their things that they went through in their life to to get to where they got to, and and not of all of it's been pretty. And you know, Reggie is a great one for. Um, you know, his his line is own your decisions. You know, when you make a decision, good or bad, you got to own it. And you know, he made some bad ones. He said like, with alcohol and his troubles there, but 
you know, he's overcome those things now and, and, and is spreading those messages to these communities from a, you know, from a high profile position. And, and, you know, if we, at the end of the day, you're not going to save everybody, but if you save one, I think it, the whole trips are worth it. Oh, it's pretty cool that you get to be a part of, you know, something that can have an impact like that. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it's, it's, it was new to me last year and, and now I'm going back again, this time to the Northwest Territories also and back to the Yukon in, in March and looking, I mean, looking forward to it. I think we, John's got a couple new guys. I think Scott Daniels is going to be coming this year to both of those trips and he wasn't with us last year, but uh, he was with, we, he, we were invited to the hometown hockey with Ron McLean at, at Enoch yeah. and that we were all part of that, that uh, celebration. Um, got to meet Ron McLean this last year. More what than you, what I, did never you really met him. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, phenomenal guy. And, you know, you just kind of, you know, you, you, it's like you meet some people and you know him forever. And that's kind of, that's the kind of personality Ron is. And he just, he's so, I mean, I don't know where he comes up with this stuff because he knows. <laughs> I mean, I got to write down my own life. He knows, <laughs> he knows everybody else's life. Like he pulls names and times and games. Like I can't. I can't name half the guys I played with those, with them, as many teams as I've been with. He can, he can pull plays that I was in. Well, I re- remember that game, and I'm like, I don't remember it. But once wow. again, he was talking on spit and chicklets, and uh, he, that question got asked how he's so good like that, and he brought up uh, that they were basically talking about different guys' brains and how they function, and they brought up Gretzky remembering every. He was saying Gretzky can recall every single goal he ever scored in the NHL, oh. which would be right like to have a memory like that yeah. on something like that and he just uh he'd been taught early i read his book and in his book it talked about and then i heard it on another interview i've heard it several times from now that in order to be a good interviewer or conversationalist you fall back on your preparation right and so he talks a lot about um the amount of preparation that goes into any interview or any yeah. anything he does in, you know, I, in I front of the audience. I kind of got that from meeting him in, in the, the, the places that we were together. Like, yeah, he does touch upon Well, he did just, you know, even walking on the spit and chicklets, I find it how quickly and easily he uses all their names, knows their parents' names, oh, has it's... done, it's, it's <laughs> like, you're like, like that's another level of preparation. Like it's very, very smooth. And uh, he always talks about, oh, you know, if you go back long enough, I was never, was not always like this. But you go back long enough, he still was that smooth. He was yeah. just a young kid doing it. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, we had a, that, that Enoch thing was really a, a great day. And I was able to bring my mom and dad to it. And, and my wife and my, my youngest daughter who plays college volleyball at Nate here. And uh, she got to meet all these guys. And she had Brian's, all five of, I had five of Brian's rings on her hands. And yeah. pictures with Sarah Sloan and, and Ron. And, and just, you know, they were just so accommodating and, and you know, just made her makes it extra special I, I i always kind of got you know i'd like to see my friends and my family get to, into these more like I, yep. to me I, I i've been there kind of in in some regards but i always get a kick because i know got lots of friends at home and, and they, that how they would they're so excited to, to get to walk in those in those circles for for a short time oh, that's really cool well we're at closing in on two hours. I've been, oh, I know time flies when you get going on this, but I want to do the final segment. It's the final five brought to us by crude master, Heath and Tracy, huge shout out to them. They've been huge supporters of mine since I started. So it's just five questions. 
quick or as long as you want. We can go wherever you want with them down any rabbit hole. But um, if you could choose two line mates then, past, present, current, don't matter. If you want to play on McDavid's wing, I'm all good for it. Who would you take? Oh, Craig Connery and Scott Pellerin. That'd be your line, yeah? You go back to it in a heartbeat. Yep. No problem there. That was, yeah, that was a big, uh, big starting point in my NHL career that we actually developed an identity as a group and, and, you know, we worked for each other and it was great, great human beings and they've both done very well and, you know, just proud to say I was, you know, a part of their little trio. It's, it's uh, yeah. Don't get too many years where you get the same line mates. No. So one of the tough things probably about the NHL specifically is it's not well even the AHL probably there probably was not many years where you got to come across a group like those two and no. then get to stick with them for four or five years is probably you're lucky if you got twenty games in a row where yeah. nobody got hurt or traded or. No, et that was just a one great year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you could go for coffee with one person, current or past. Who would you go with? Mm, probably, well, Jimmy Roberts. Like I just, you know, he passed away, and that was probably, you know, regrets a wasted emotion. But um, when he passed, uh, I was hoping to see him once before he passed. Basically, since yeah. post hockey, just a touch base or a visit, because he was. He was a yeah. He was a great. He was my hockey grandpa, and and just it would have been nice to just to see him one more time. If you could go back to any rink in your prime and play in it, where would you go? Mm. I like. Oh, I mean, to me, it was always probably you know, Maple Leaf Gardens. Montreal form like it's just never I don't know those are the probably the two buildings that I mean Rexall was huge because I grew up as an Islander fan and 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 Oilers always went head to head when I got there it was, it was you know it's it's the Rexall place it, the history was is what made the building beautiful right so I mean the Toronto you know Maple Leaf Gardens was cool to play there it's just you know it was something that you grew up from as when you first started watching hockey and seeing Harold Beller sitting in the corner and you get there and that's the where he used to sit. Like that would be the building I'd I'd go back. I would love to play again. But if you could take a time machine and go to anywhere, where would you go? Time machine. Hmm. Yes, we're defying the laws of physics. Um You know, probably just back to. We had nothing to do just with family. I, I think if, if I had a time machine, I'd be take it back to where I have all my grandparents back. Just that'd be more important to me than than a rink. That's interesting. But uh, I uh, so with doing the podcast, I just did uh, Terrence Bexon. Um, he was the episode before he was ninety, uh, and got to go down like memory lane with him where you get to like just hear his stories and talk about you know growing up through dirty 30s and world war Two, and not that he was in world war Two, yeah. but he was a kid but that left school at 11 to be put on a team of horses to plow the field because there was nobody else to do it kind of thing and you're like 
Well, I just I can't even fathom that. So I love. I wish my family and myself and my four siblings wish we would have had something on our grandparents, right? Because mm-hmm. they came through that timer and it's just different. And what about uh, sitting down or you know if you had a time machine to go back and sit with your grandparents, would you would stick out to you? What would you be? Well, it just well if I could be able to let my like my grandfather know that I made it. My mom's dad, he passed, well, he passed away before I made it, so it was just like, you know, he was he was a, a big fan of mine. Um, he he was, <laughs> we I was playing in Moostra, so he, he wants to come up and watch me play. And he's not driving no more. This is near, and he's older. And he uh, takes the bus from Battleford to Moostra, booked himself into a hotel so i had to pick him up at the bus and drop him off at the hotel he wasn't going to stay at the billets because he didn't want to bother anybody so we get uh told me kim and rex i said grandpa's that thing they're going to pick him up for the game so get down uh get to the game and and uh he's like i don't want to i don't want to get him nervous he doesn't want to get me nervous right so rex says well then let's just go to a seat like We'll just go up to our seats and then Rex turns around and he's gone. Well, he's down at the glass banging at me. Eh? <laughs> so he was, I'm like, look back and it's grandpa. Eh? I give him the thumbs up and, and if you knew him, he had no teeth. So he gives his puckered smile and he gives me the fist. And so he was pumped. And then if it wasn't, uh, we're playing Regina Pats, I get a penalty shot. And Rex is like, oh God, and my grandpa got quiet. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I scored. Well, he, his chest went out, and then he was pumped. And next thing you know, we won the game. Get down, come in the All of a sudden, knock at the door. There's Grandpa, right into the dressing room. Not a, <laughs> wheels right into the room. And, you know, those are the days when still, you know, those are off limits. But no, Grandpa, he, was, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to make a scene, but he always made a scene. So it was, that was one of those cool, cool memories. He always bought a tick, uh, season ticket to the Warrior Games. Never, probably the only time he ever went. It was the only one he ever went to, but from from the day I got there, he always supported the team, right? So he'd buy a season ticket every year for us. So he was, he was quite the character. Final one. What's the best lesson then you've learned over your time? Well, I, I think you touched upon it. I think really don't burn bridges um, in life. Uh, you know, it kind of stated like happiness is a choice. So you, you got to make a decision. Um, you know, if you're not happy with where you're at, then then you got to do something about it and change it. Um, like to me, happiness isn't a reaction. It's it's a it's an action. And you know, I try to instill that in in my everyday life and and my family and you know, but you know. It's all kind of cliche-ish, but it's, it, it was is a, what it is. I was hoping you were going to bring that up because I, I thought it was, it was a very, like I say, I send these little questionnaires off just to kind of give a little background, a little mm-hmm. kind of idea where we might touch upon. And you, that that was your answer, essentially, but you said happiness is a choice. Embrace who you are. Make decisions that please yourself. And I thought that was a very, I don't think that's cliche at all. I think that's a very... Well, that's kind of, I mean, when I, when I was home, like I said, and not playing, you know, I had been trying to please everybody else and do live up to everybody's expectations that weren't realistic. 
And when I just said, hell, I'm just going to go and do my thing. And that's when everything started to turn around. And, you know, timing with my, my wife and, and, you know, there's no pity, pity party in, in our world. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it was what I needed really at the time. It was what, exactly what I needed. And, you know, the, the coaches that were the hardest on me, probably in, in hindsight is the ones I performed the best. Um, you know, Lauren was a, wasn't as hard on me, but he was the first guy that ever believed, believed in me. Believed, yeah. And that was all I needed at that time. But, like, Bob Hartley was, he was a tyrant, uh, but made me the best I could be. So, um, yeah, there's no, that's basically it in a nutshell. Well, I really appreciate, uh, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago and it just kind of came together, you know, I, I think quick. Some guys have been talking to him for six months and it's just schedules and everything else. So I really appreciate you making the time and oh. <laughs> sitting down. This has been this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed this. Um Cripe, one thing, question number six, I just remembered this. I, what was the first thing I said to you on the phone? Do you remember? The Minnesotan Islanders. Oh. I got to ask about this. You, I've, I've forgotten all about this. The Minnesotan Islanders is when I leave Lloyd. So I'm not, I've left Lloyd for about eight years. And in the middle of that, the Minnesotan Islanders are formed, which are no more. And you end up coming to play for them. Did you win an Allen Cup? Uh, no, we didn't win. It was here in Lloyd. The Allen Cup was here in Lloyd that year. Um, it just, I kind of vowed I'd never play senior hockey. Okay. It's just, it wasn't, I didn't, you know, I just don't, you know, people say, oh, you can make all this money. I mean, really, I don't see the, yeah, but you can, I don't you, see the value. I mean, could I use money? Yeah. <laughs> but I just never thought it was right. I mean, I, that was my own personal thing. And I just, there, there was nothing to gain, but the opportunity come to go to Japan with that group and represent Canada at a Nagano Cup. And it was like, that's more than just senior hockey. And that's not a, a paycheck or nothing. It was just a life experience. And and it was awesome. It was We had so much fun. Corey Schwab was in a lockout year. He come as an assistant coach with Blaine Guzdal, who coaches at Augustana now. Yeah. Uh, Martin Smith was the local guy from that I, you know, still good buddies with him today. And, and there's Russ here. They had a great team. I mean, it was a uh, a great team and a great group of guys, and it was actually a lot of fun. And then I think the most fun I had was actually our series between Ilda Shane and the Saskatchewan Manitoba, where they had uh, Pat Falloon and, and Kelly Guala and Stan Reddick was their goalie, which my old goalie from Moostra. But that was like that was the closest to real hockey that I had played since being out of professional hockey, and I thought that was a lot of fun. The Lloyd uh, Allen Cup was well. Horse Lake was here with Gino and and, and Theo and, and Theo and oh crap, a bunch of guys, and that was just a circus. Um, you know, there's some Theo and I played junior together for a few years, and and you know, one of my guys I really really look up to the most and, and admire as a as a player and and the stuff that he's gone through. Um, but that whole thing, it was fun. I mean, I get, I did enjoy it. the support and Lloyd here was crazy. Like, sold out every senior game. It was just, it's just, it was not. So it was, it was that was fun. But that was like half a season, and after that, it was like my body's not, not, not built to take all this anymore. <laughs> just like, what was, what was Japan like? Well, it was a lot of. We had a, a blast. I mean, you, who goes to Japan? I mean, I don't. And then you get to go with a bunch of like a hockey team is just makes yeah. it that much fun. But our team was come together from all over 
Alberta and Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, the Wetaskiwin to Edmonton and can come together for games and play and then go home. And we get to Japan. That's our first practice as a team is in Japan. And we're playing against a professional, professional Russian team and Japan's national team. Wow. I mean, Olympic ice and we have no systems, no, like our poor goalie, Steven Wagner, he got, I think we lost like 12-3 and 13-2. Oof. Five on five, we lost three two and four three. Five on five. But as soon as they got the power play, <laughs> our goalie, they're peppering one timers off the umbrella like on the big ice and we had no sort of a you know, it's too short of a time period, but you know, they it was just it was fun, it was a great experience, but the hockey wasn't I mean, it wasn't that great. I mean they were a lot better than us, but we were a senior team, right? We're playing yeah. against a, a national team and but the, the Russian pro team, I actually there's a guy that I played with in the American League at at one time. I mean, they were they were paid to play. They were, they were working at it every day. I mean, but great experience, and I think they kind of kiboshed all that. No, they don't think they do all that. No, stuff I'm anymore. pretty sure they don't. But I could be wrong on that too. But it was kind of the the, the that was the the reward for winning the Allen Cup. Correct. It was the Nagano Cup. And that year that we went, it was the year they that summer they turned the Quebec League into a professional league. Because it was it was basically a professional hockey league that a senior professional, and Minnesotan were the runners up that year, so they got to go as representing Canada the next year because they kind of disqualified the the group the, that the won. The group that won. Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Well, heck, I really enjoyed this. I really appreciate you coming. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it again. I, well, I, I'll tie it, <laughs> try and tie it in a bow again. I really appreciate you coming into town and sitting no. down with me for a couple hours. It's been a lot of fun. Um, like I say, we didn't know each other from a hole in the wall before we walked in, but I've really appreciated you sitting down and being open and, and sharing some stories. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I mean, I'm, it's the first time I ever did something like this, and then, you know, like I don't I don't talk about the stuff a whole lot anymore. It's just, you know, the odd story comes up after old timers, but <laughs> but not, not to this detail, and, and, you know, I think hopefully somebody has something to pull from it. I think, like I kind of touched when we first met, I think, and, only guy, one of maybe the only guy that ever went as an out player that played in the NHL to out of hockey altogether and then playing scratch, senior scratch, and then scratched his way, way back. all the way back to the league yeah. to, to put together a little bit of a career. So, yeah, that's my own little feather. And but uh, hey, it was it was lots of fun, wouldn't change it for the world. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down. Thanks again. You got her, Sean. <laughs>